Erklären Sie zum vom Corona-Ausschuss. Committee. This is the 91st meeting. Uh, initial reasons is our topic. There are several things that deal with um, the background issues, various contributions. Well, let me get back to the last meeting, which uh, created a lot of um, waves with our uh, guests, our guests, Andy Lanka and um, Mr. Kaufmann. Many uh, misinterpreted that in order to show them up. And uh, we have to say that was not our intention at all. I had called Dr. Lanka back in summer of 2020 because I found this idea uh, quite fascinating. If you question things that maybe the, this might be a point to be doubted. Um, I was very interested in it. We uh, talked to, uh, to each other on the phone, then I visited him and we exchanged ideas on this topic and uh, he told me that uh, he was uh, conducting a control experiment and the results were to be available in by September or the end of uh, 2020 and I contacted him um, but we weren't in contact anymore um, I, I don't know what happened it's not uh, very uh, close um, information it's this so-called um, project Emanuel or Kant or whatever um, it is of course intellectually quite interesting this topic from my or our uh, perspective we always feel that we need to question things but we um, didn't have the uh, idea that it would be so emotionally charged as it was as it turned out to be in the uh, session that the participants got a bit um, heated and I um, said that I don't like this um, type of language and I um, stand by this. I don't want this kind of language, and I can only explain it um, by the fact that uh, uh, Mr. Lanka, uh, that emotions um, were quite uh, heated at the time because I know Mr. Lanka as a um, very sedate person, really, um, and uh, we would like to get back at this question. Um, Legally, it's uh, irrelevant um, whether um, uh, or how we have to um, evaluate the corona issue, uh, because if we feel that the virus is not very dangerous, as we believe right now, this doesn't play a major role, uh, we don't have uh, any problem on our hand that would justify uh, the measures. But it has been suggested um, to look at this. Um, this format, of course, here in the Corona Committee um, doesn't lend itself, of course, to go into laboratory technology um, details. That's just too much um, time that's required, or also the people here were not uh, qualified to do this, um, to evaluate this, because we're not qualified to do that. So we're not knowledgeable about this. So we invited Mr. Lanka maybe to um, have a, a session with only him, um, and we asked him whether he's willing to look at this um, from, on a factual, uh, from a factual uh, perspective again. We're open for this. That's my evaluation, and I would be happy if we could make progress here, because many people are interested in this topic. And I 
believe that it's intellectually interesting um, to think about this, but for the corona issue itself, I think this is not the breakthrough, basically. Rainer, what's your view? Well, adding to that, we as lawyers think, and in that case, I agree with our American colleagues that the topic should not be addressed in courtroom. It can't be touched accidentally either, because after all, what we've found out in these sessions is to prove it's it's important to prove in court that we have a staged pandemic, no real pandemic, which has been planned for many, many years. Maybe this one was only the specific planning was only done since 2017. And that is best done <coughs> by attacking the PCR test, because the PCR test actually created the cases in inverted commas that uh, the WHO and the controlling institutions like Bill Gates need to um, proclaim the health emergency of international concern. Without that, it wouldn't have been possible. So the cases weren't cases. If you, it's a question of definition. What is a case? If, if as case you defined, and that's been suggested to the world population, somebody who is contagious, and everything that is connected to that, then everything that is done with the Dustin PCR test is a complete fake. Because apart from the fact that the PCR test, no matter how you apply it, will show you anything about any infection, the test has been set to an extent to react positively to nearly anything. And anything that tested positive, anybody that tested positive was a corona case. But if a test like this one only looks for corona and is set to find everything as corona, in the result, we have at least 97% um, false positives. So if such a test is used to produce cases, then it's quite clear that these cases, which is contagiously sick people, have never existed. By that way, I get to the objective because even Drosty, Drost and Fauci have um, let these traces that it has not said uh, it's not fit to prove infections. If I go a step back and saying there is no viruses, I have a problem because like last time I've said, if we have four, five, six, seven scientists who say there is no viruses and 10,000 others who state that there are viruses, says i uh, think it you don't need a crystal ball to forecast the outcome if we only go in it with a pcr test it's not possible if an evidence is taken which is not possible in german courts at the moment because uh, but that may change because some judges may wake up not the boss of our um, constitutional court but the others if the push comes back and then this constellation PCR test as the basis for everything, PCR test can't do that, that's going to win. I'm completely convinced of that. And there is no risk 
that in the context of such a discussion, I go there with the uh, argument that the PR test, can, test can't show an infection and the way it was set, it had to produce false positives. There is no risk in that argumentation that the other side can come up with an idea, by the way, there's no viruses. That's that's bullshit. Um, they won't do that because they, they base their tactics on the existence of viruses. And the second point, uh, that this virus has never been isolated, they're not going to put up that because then that means they'll have to be limited to the um, PCR test discussion. Otherwise, that would be uh, legal suicide. I uh, We should have addressed this differently. I didn't expect this emotional discussion to come up. Um, uh, I didn't want to have that discussion, but as we've started it, we have to complete it and um, we have to lead that discussion, which is surely not without the base. Um, <clears throat> But in legal terms, it doesn't make sense. There's two levels that we move on in the legal sense, and I think that is common sense as well. One is the um, load, the, the burden of presentation, and the other is the burden of proof. So if I come up and say that I claim that the PCR test cannot prove any infections, I have to present that in a way that it is comprehensive. If not, if I can't do that, I won't get to the level of um, providing evidence. And then the other side has to go up against this and um, um, come up with good arguments. And only if that happens, the judge will come uh, to give the proof. If the judge says both sides could be right, then they have to look at the evidence. And now we move to the virus. If we go to court and assume that there are viruses, and I assume this, as long as the contrary has been proven, theoretically, we would have to we're not going to talk about viruses, but then theoretically we have to bring in such a lot of substances, textbooks, experts, that every normal person says this seems plausible. plausible. And that is what we can say. And after all we've seen over the last hundred years, for me, it is apparent, but I'm a lawyer only, uh, that there are viruses. And when we get to that point, it's not enough anymore. If the other side says, I don't want to set up any theories, I just claim the existing theories are false. That is not enough in this case, because there's such a lot of substance that it is not enough simply to negate that. This is so-called so secondary, secondary proof of a burden of presentation. They have to come up with their own uh, proof, their own tests, for example, experiments, if that is more convincing, so be it. But we are not at that point as yet. But we are going to pick up on that discussion. And as I said, from a legal side, it would be suicide to move with this um, to court at this point, but scientifically it's surely interesting. And still, despite the fact that it's a very small group 
of scientists who claim that there are no viruses. There is a big foregoing, I think, as we have addressed it, I do regret so, but as we have done so, we have to finish it off and look at it in detail. Otherwise, we'll create the impression that we want to obscure things, and that is not what we need to do. I want to find out what's going on. How evil as it may be, I have to know what to fight to start the right weapon. So this is why we want to know everything, and um, that is why we want to go. And important is to know, and that's maybe the reason of our the title today, Initial Reasons. If we get to the point that the PCR test was the means to create cases which are not existent, cases defined as infectious people, if we get to the result that it's all staged, what is behind this? And for that, we have to look at the historical and geopolitical background. And that is what we're going to do in the next meeting of the Grand Jury tomorrow. And so you have to look what happened. And I believe that the most important finding from everything that we've done here in the committee and which will hopefully be apparent as a uniform picture from the work of the grand jury, the most important finding is that we can't trust any of those who are politicians or representatives of the mainstream media, none of them, because all of them have a very concrete suspicion that they have been installed by bribery that may apply to large parts of the doctorate or that they are instructed. We'll have to drill down in the details of that. But these are to a large extent that people um, that put ideas that are not acceptable, to my opinion. Lauterbach is one of the most important ones, the German Minister of Health. Now he's turned um, to be a, a physician, which he's never seen uh, a patient, as he says himself. These people have been installed, and that's the most important finding. Once I've got that, there is no cavalry. Our politicians or the former critical media going to help us, then the second step is even more important. We have to take it up ourselves. We have to build up our own system, and we will do so because we're here to defend the Constitution, democracy, and the rule of law against these uh, people. And to illustrate that, before we start talking to Dr. Johannes Andres uh, Gruner, I would like to announce a video clip today, our only one for today, which has been filmed um, apparently with a hidden camera, but that's not very clear, to with Klaus Straub. And there he says that with the WEF and the Young Global Leaders Program, he was able to infiltrate everything, not only the politics, but NGOs and the unions. If that is true, and that matches what we have found out so far and what we will hear in the future, we don't have to be surprised that it happened what apparently did happen. And let's uh, look at the video. When I look at our stakeholders, then we have a main target, the main target, 
die Wirtschaft, die Politik. With many governments around the world, and of course we have NGOs, uh, we have trade unions, we have all those different parts. Media, of course. Media, of course, and very important um, experts and scientists and academia. Because if we are looking at the future, I think we should look at new solutions, and the new solutions will be very much driven by technological uh, developments. And we even have, uh, you even have religious leaders, right? We have religious leaders, we have social entrepreneurs, very important social entrepreneurs. Tja, mit anderen Worten, wir haben sie alle in der Tasche. Viviane wollte noch ja, ergänzen. Ja, ich wollte nur noch mal kurz zu in Ergänzung zu dem, was Wolf... Äh, well, was just uh, to add to what Rainer just said earlier, um, I have to say we're not sad about the fact that we touched the question of the virus. Um, by contrast, I'm intellectually interested in this. Um, I just want to know, and if there's something uh, true to it, it would raise the question of whether um, diseases are treated the right way, um, and do, are we dealing with transmission correctly? Because there is some sort of transmission, because um, um, if uh, children attend a, a party where somebody has the measles, they all pick it up. So there, there must be some way of transmission. And uh, I would like to um, get into more detail into the facts uh, with more um, time. Maybe it was a bit naive to think uh, that we could handle this topic, which is uh, quite an, a big topic uh, within the normal time frame that we have with two protagonists who present it. So I hope there will be another um, possibility uh, to discuss this, and I'd be um, interesting to see what results. And everybody can then um, form their own opinion. So let's get started. Okay, let's start with Dr. Andreas Johannes Gruner. He is a specialist in general medicine and emergency medicine with additional qualifications in anthroposophic medicine and classical homeopathy. He will report on the perspective of an emergency physician on the years 2020-21 and uh, summing up in 2020, no trace of a pandemic was recognizable to him. That's what we've heard in the uh, alarm paper from the Minister of Interior. In 2021, there is a clear and not to be underestimated mortality emerging, which is otherwise only to be expected in times of war or in case of natural disasters. Its practical experience as an emergency service suggests that there is a coincidence between the mortality and the increase of the severe side effects for intemporal connection with the novel COVID vaccines. A causal relationship of the severe adverse events with prior vaccination can be reasonably established in many cases, according to medical diagnostic practices. That is a judgment, but I'm not surprised by it. Dr. Gruner, how did you get to arrive to that? Well, I'm muted. Can you hear me? Yes, right. I have to correct what you just read out. I didn't write it. I gave it to you in a different version, basically. The success mortality, I assumed that it existed, but I only had it confirmed uh, via statistics now, because it's not possible as an individual who only has uh, individual experience to deduce any uh, excess mortality from my own experience. 
That would, of course, be simply impossible because you have to have a large uh, cohort uh, on which you can base your figures. What I observed and why I went public is my practical experience. I got into the position where I feel I can speak out about this because over the last 13 years I um, functioned as an uh, emergency physician for 48 hours every week, very regularly. Over 13 years I had this routine where I got into a position that if something had happened of a pandemic character, then I would be the first to realize this, because as an emergency physician, if you work in different wards, and I have to say I'm a freelance uh, emergency physician, so I have a larger level of freedom. I'm not part of an organization of a clinic. As a freelance uh, emergency physician, I am a, a service provider. mostly working for the um, public health insurance physicians organization in um, Magdeburg and Sachsen-Anhalt, state of Germany. So I was in a position where I, uh, I believe that in the event of a pandemic, I would have been the very first to realize it. Because if you work as an emergency physician, you have a um, perimeter of, of, of you have a um, an area of uh, 20 kilometers uh, around your clinic and if there's any problem I'm called upon so I'm the first on the scene always and in uh, 2020 well I based on the experience that I had and depending on what the area is that you work in, whether it's more urban or more rural, you may have different uh, general trends, um, which types of emergencies you have or what situations you get involved in. It depends on whether you are on duty near a motorway, then you have to go there if there's a crash there. But m most cases, are not accidents. Uh, lay people don't know that. It's usually internalist, uh, internalist um, diseases, so all the other specialist areas of um, medicine. So in 2020, they proclaimed this pandemic, and then all of a sudden, everything was different. And so far as suddenly, The number of call-outs was reduced. The uh, emergency um, rooms were deserted. It was a bit uh, spooky, as I said it already. In the uh, emergency wards where I uh, got to when I uh, delivered emergency patients, there was no 
excess utilization of capacity tended to be less in 2020 than in previous years. So what I realized was that there was a huge psychological shock across the country, across the world that paralyzed everything. And we know that many people responded by not having um, presenting to physicians um, with whatever um, treatable disease they had, say a um, heart attack or a um, stroke, and uh, then they procrastinated uh, medical treatment, probably due to the um, psychological shock. And it took a while, a few months, before the re uh, population realized, and I realized as well, that you can't really, um, you, that you have to take it all with a pinch of salt. And then the uh, emergency call-outs, um, the number of emergency call-outs increased a bit again. So there was first this uh, rapid decline and then a slow increase again. I have to add that I have a special qualification because in my life I only I haven't only worked as an emergency physician in many years and uh, I used to and I still continue uh, doing that. I have these two uh, fields of activity. I have my own consultancy and I uh, work as an emergency physician and over the years I've always looked at the uh, amnesia uh, of my uh, patients so I know their patient's history, so I uh, don't put that above what I uh, can see with uh, all my senses, the five senses that we know in the fifth, sixth and seventh sense maybe. And I had practiced this observation experience. I'm 63 years old now. I have more than 30 years professional experience behind me. So I'm not fresh off uh, med school. And I can look back on uh, professional experience and, of course, knowledge of humans, which you acquire over time. So that means, for me, It had always been absolutely necessary that I look at the medical history, that I ask myself what had happened previously. If somebody has any symptom, anything happened to them, then you look at their patient history. Nowadays, this is being increasingly neglected because diagnostics rely ever more on all the um, medical technology and the young generation of physicians believe that they can do everything with it and the medical history isn't all that important anymore, which is, of course, a misconception because every disease has precursor stages where you can't detect it yet, where you can't feel it yet. We know that from immunology as well, that in every body we have this constant struggle uh, waging between um, aberrant cells and immune cells and um, intruders. And while we're healthy, we don't realize that sort of thing. So we're healthy, 
um, as it were. And healthy health means that we live in a um, balance. Uh, so we need to um, go to sleep as well, because without sleep uh, we can't win this uh, constant struggle, this dynamic equilibrium uh, would be disturbed. And if you dig deep enough and you ask well enough, you'll always find a cause for any disease. You will always find it. It can be a brick that falls off a roof. It can be your uh, row with your spouse that happened a week ago. It can be your mother's death 15 years ago. It can be a hushed up death. So people who are hushed up in by the family and that uh, comes back as a um, psychological trauma or a uh, physical problem, aborted children, uh, all those things that nobody ever speaks about and where everybody believes that has no impact on my well-being, my physical well-being. And of course, that is not true. We always have a cascade. Every disease, particularly internal diseases, have a long prehistory. It doesn't happen overnight. So, long before uh, we can uh, detect any symptoms, even with um, medical, medical technology, is uh, a disturbed uh, balance. It makes sense as well. If you um, think of a project, um, say, I want to buy a house, then it's a purely mental project. Nobody knows about it. And then when I start implementing the project, then at some stage, the house will be actually physic physically there. And you might consider a disease as a project as well that uh, starts developing at a level that is energetically real. And I'm speaking of energetically because that is something that can be best understood by materialist uh, medicine, because um, uh, magnetism, electromagnetism is something you can't see, but it is measurable for devices, for medical devices. So you have this prehistory. To get back to the uh, emergency uh, numbers, um, it usually is um, enough to ask three or four questions. If somebody comes into uh, the ER, and as long as somebody uh, cries out and gives out, uh, is still alive, and then we relax, the staff relaxes, because anybody who cries uh, out and, and, and complains, etc., is doing well, is reasonably, doing reasonably well. If people are quiet, then we get nervous. And if I can talk to the person, I will. I'll ask them directly. Um, then I know whether they can articulate, whether they're uh, mentally well. Does he know about um, what time it is, uh, what what year, etc.? Um, can they talk about themselves? Then you have a physical, um, have physical findings, and you can talk about their medical history. 
if uh, they can't talk about themselves because they have, are uh, demented, for instance, or they have a, a psychological uh, event, then you ask uh, family members, and usually it's possible what happened just before the emergency occurred. That is the crucial question. The crucial question is quite is quite simple. Was there anything out of the normal? I ask the patient, and if I can't ask him, I ask the family, is there anything um, unusual that happened? We have a, an emergency right now. What happened previously? And normally, there was something unusual. Somebody fell or... If somebody has uh, diarrhea, they may have had some uh, food poisoning. So it's kind of a bit of detective work uh, to determine what could have led to the current emergency. And on the basis of my decades of experience, I've known for a long time that vaccinations trigger diseases as uh, someone who starts up um, in medicine, you won't know about this, but after a few years of practice as a physician, you notice that you learn it um, by force um, if you talk to people once in a while. So I ask patients or family members always whether uh, there was anything unusual, and then they say, no, not to our knowledge. And then I ask specific questions. Did the patient uh, receive a vaccination? Oh, yeah, of course he did. Um, he got a vaccine uh, shot the day before yesterday or a week ago or four weeks ago or eight weeks ago, right? So for people, when you ask them, was there anything out of the usual, they don't realize that the vaccination is something out of the normal. They perceive the vaccination as this harmless jab that they sell it us to, or something that you do without it having anything to do with you. That goes so far that the vaccination is not perceived as a um, an important event in your own biography, so that people who right after vaccination, maybe the day after the vaccination, um, develop symptoms. And I've seen that even with my uh, emergency um, room colleagues um, who fell ill and still held on to the belief that it had nothing to do with, with the vaccination until it happened several times over. So there is something deeply rooted in us that has been cultivated for many decades by all the... Um, well, uh, by the side that wants to get people to get vaccinated, that it's completely harmless, and that if anything happens, it can never have anything to do with the vaccination. Well, my medical experience is different. Of course, one vaccination with a subsequent illness cannot uh, be proof of a causal relationship. I gave a speech recently where I uh, spoke about the example of the restaurant where a patient 
had diarrhea and had eaten uh, fish the night before. And if he is the only patient who um, ate fish uh, in that restaurant on that night and fell ill, and the others who ate fish didn't get ill, then that may be coincidental. But if all the people who um, had fish in this restaurant on that night uh, fall ill afterwards, then I can medically determine that this is a fish, a case of fish poisoning with a 99.9% .9 probability um, clinically simply by looking at the coincidence of events. Coincidence of events. And this situation now occurred in uh, 2021. In other words, uh, with my uh, emergency patients, I always go into the medical history, and there's always been this uh, relationship between vaccinations and subsequent illness, which I've I'd observed for decades, but in uh, 2021, uh, when they started with the corona vaccinations, it became pandemic. Now we have the pandemic. But it's iatrogenic. I had numerous patients who fell ill after the vaccination, severely ill after the vaccination, and for many patients where I could only issue the death cert anymore. I beg your pardon? After the vaccination. Um, what did these people die of? And what uh, temporal correlation to the vaccination was that? They died... Or, or fell ill severely. They die of all uh, the diseases and uh, causes that we had previously. The vaccination is an event <clears throat> that always targets the weakest part in the uh, body. It has to do with your personal constitution. If I'm a heart um, patient type, then it will affect the heart. If I'm a uh, kidney type, then it will um, manifest in the kidney. If I have another weakness, blood disease or whatever, then well, the uh, vaccination weakens the patient's vitality so that where you have a um, weakness, uh, you'll have symptoms in that um, place like a predetermined breaking point. But what we saw were thrombotic uh, events, uh, so where the uh, thrombus uh, is caused, the um, sinus vein uh, thrombosis, uh, for instance, or the brain uh, uh, thrombus, or thrombosis, um, and if these uh, throm uh, thromboses are uh, procrastinated, then it can lead to embolism, and it can be lead. It can lead then to uh, heart infarctions or strokes or whatever. So this is what we see uh, mostly in the context of the COVID vaccinations. That's my clinical observation. But there's all sorts of other possibilities of falling ill. For instance that your immune uh, immunity is reduced. So if somebody was healthy, uh, and I've seen that in the past, people fell ill after receiving a flu jab, 
and the 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 jab was supposed to protect them against the cold and it often didn't work so they got the flu uh, shot and then they um, fell ill um, and had a really severe cold so if your vitality is weakened then These illnesses can occur um, uh, according to your disposition, but uh, thrombotic um, events that occur um, in the heart or the head uh, are most common, and it correlates to the pathophysiology that is known um, that the, if the spike uh, proteins are uh, deposited in all the endothelia, um, um, and since we have them in all organs, it can lead to symptoms in all organs. And if an endocrine, uh, endocrine um, um, gland is affected, or a salivary gland, then you have a failure of that gland and corresponding uh, symptoms. So the difficulty with this uh, vaccination is that it is an intoxication, and intoxication is very difficult to prove. Every medication is a poison. That is a um, medical truism. Uh, since antiquity, every physician knows that, that every medication is a toxin. And depending on how it acts, and even if this, particularly if this toxin has different um, effective uh, levels, then you have positive effects, mid-term effects, long-term effects. Long-term effects may be autoimmune reactions that have to build up over time. Then the body has to turn aggressive, turn on its own tissue, basically. And what really made me concerned was that in 2021, when what I already knew about, when I found this in an, on an epidemic scale, that even young people who previously had an empty medical history, that's, you know, if somebody doesn't have a medical history, basically it's empty, they were vaccinated and then suddenly they fell ill. I saw it coming down the line, of course, because it was obvious that this is a big experiment that they're um, performing uh, with world population now. I had hoped that it wouldn't be that bad, after all. You just keep up your hopes, but it did come that bad, and it is getting worse. You know, I'm a physician. I fight for every single life. Now I'm in a situation, I got into this situation where I can try to save a life, and behind my back are being damaged on a scope and on a dimension 
by this vaccination that I figured I have to go public and I have to stop people from getting ill by this vaccination because that's the best way to help people. It's a medical disaster of probably the greatest scale we ever had on earth. And I um, installed a website with a call on uh, all physicians become human under menschenwerden.de, that's uh, becomehuman.de. And I did that in the summer of last year. It was so, I, I, I was so concerned. I got a, a neurodermitis uh, outbreak. My body told me you have to do something. I absolutely had to take this knowledge and affliction public because this is my damn duty. That's the way I feel about it. And before I had this interview with you, I had the initial stages of neurodermitis, uh, neurodermitis again, uh, dermatitis, sorry. Um, and I hope that it gets better now that I had a, a, a possibility to speak out publicly. I uh, think that you're doing great work and I'm very grateful that you asked me. Well, with you, I think we've heard for the first time a practical experience from somebody who, based on their experience, as you've told us, um, what you call these these birds in uh, in the mines that give early warnings of um, um, parakeets who warn if the oxygen is getting too little. Um, you noticed this, others doctors could have, and not enough um, rang the alarm bells. I'm very impressed how you calmly express all this, although I can see you're not very calm and we feel the same in my work as a lawyer. And I never want to do criminal law because I thought it was boring. And it's simple, simple from my point of view, not um, being... Um, and not not talking about the colleagues who do that. It needs a lot of experience, but it is not too complex. It's three levels. It's the question: Is there someone who died? If I ask for uh, um, a murder and there is somebody dead, and I find somebody with a gun, there's indication. Is there any emergency? Or is there any reason or any excuse that is, is it self-defense or, or that? <clears throat> so these are the, the main three areas. But in the, um, in my cases, um, in civil law, I fought against the evil people, the evil companies who are only interested in making profits. And this is mainly directed at the top levels who really there. And I was furious at times to sit in courtrooms and see the uh, acceptance of these people <clears throat> in the courtrooms, including their lawyers. 
and uh, oh, some of the lawyers think that they are outside of the case. I know many criminal lawyers who are outside of their cases, but there are many, and maybe in civil law that's different than in criminal law, that they um, really are from the same stable as their, as their clients. And that makes you furious. But over the time, I learned that fury is important, but you have to keep it under control. Otherwise, it'll go over the top. And for you, it's more important because otherwise you couldn't help. If you are called to an emergency and arrive at the scene first, you can't um, be desperate, uh, but you have to be cool and um, decided to take the right action. And you can't do that if you're furious. You know who's behind this. You know it's the vaccinations, and you know that there are people who push these vaccines in politics, in the media, and, of course, in the pharmaceutical industry, which is hardly any difference from each other. That was the first time that I have heard this real life, so to say, and um, it, it was very impressive and I think it's very comprehensive. And I wonder where the others are. Why do they shut up? There must be many. We know that. We've talked to whistleblowers. Whistleblowers you know, don't uh, tell us their name and function or allow us to publish, publish their name and function. We've talked about drivers of ambulances and they told us the same things. And they've said as well, it's after the vaccinations. That's when it was started. It was all calm in the beginning. The panic that you described, which um, was pushed away after a while, that uh, caused, one of the drivers told us, that many people suddenly tried to do su commit suicide. Seriously. Um, one of them told us, that um, one out of 10 works. And now it's different, it's uh, inverse. And that's the problem. And that's the point where I get furious personally, but I have to tell myself, we'll find that out. Nobody is going to get away. And uh, what do you think? Why didn't your colleagues raise the alarm? And people have reported from uh, hospitals that they're routinely asked, uh, are you vaccinated or um, is he vaccinated? And do you uh, realize what uh, symptoms they have? So patients have told us that uh, they are aware of that the, the doctors ask them, um, but people uh, keep silent there as well. So what's your view? Uh, you're at the forefront. So you uh, would have to raise the alarm for the others? Do you think that's a sort of cognitive dissonance or what's your perception there? If you are in an organism where the head, the directory has all the power, then you'll risk your existence if you ring the alarm bells. So everybody who speaks out are now immediately vaporized in their existence. It's a very primitive mechanism, but it works flawlessly. 
there is no free opinion anymore. You can't publicly say what you think because others think they have to sanction you for that. And the point is that this perception of reality that we are witnessing is um, a lie. There is no openness for acceptance and dialogue. And psychologically speaking, I think this phenomena is the result of a non-existent um, address or discussion of the most important questions that people may have, which is where do I come from, Where, why am I here, and where do I go, and why do I have to die? The fear of death <coughs> has been suppressed successfully, successfully over a hundred years, and that has been replaced with a replacement religion, which is modern medicine, materialistic medicine, and that promises around the clock, and that's the essence of transhumanism, we make you um, bodily invincible. So if something breaks in your body, we will repair it. You're not going to have to die. And that's the message that Klaus Schwab has. We do that technically. Calm down. We have our hands on everything. And they said so. So I am not intending to die. That's a quote. I don't know. I think Elon Musk or one of these people who play that game was not Elon Musk or someone else. I do not intend to die materially, and that's only the peak of the iceberg, which is really the basic uh, attitude, which is very widespread by now. And I see that, that unfortunately, of course, well, I, I do have uh, a range of patients that are a bit more aware, but in the standard patient, people say, I have a problem here, doctor, do it away, take it away, just like uh, going to my um, garage with my car. And this corona pandemic is a massive psyop which deliberately builds on this knowledge that people have suppressed their thought of death. That means by confronting people with that, I can alarm them immediately. A hundred years ago, uh, that wouldn't have been possible because there were enough people who would say, okay, if you do something evil to me, you'll go to hell. And I know that I have help in the heavens above. And that has been completely rejected from our realm of thought, and now people can be trained like uh, guinea pigs. They can be chased from one corner to the other, like sheep, with shock news. Uh, Border Schiffman had said that uh, you just, uh, um, you chase a new news through the village every day. And so, Everything that is a headline in the media nowadays is planned and it is targeted to an object objective. 
And that's the background and the ex the fear of existence. If if I fight and for what I'm convinced of, but I'm the minority, it's like in the schoolyard. Um, I do think, well, I could be uh, beaten up, basically. So I have to think what I say, and you have to have the courage to do so. And many of the uh, paramedics in emergency services are fully aware of what's going on, but they've got a couple of years to go to retirement and say, why should I just um, hurt myself? So they talk openly with each other. So when you're in the uh, ambulance, uh, you say, oh, another um, vaccination victim. Depends on who you do the service with. It's different. Uh, so if you have an inhomogeneous staffing in the shift who believe in corona, with some who believe in corona, who are in line, and who don't have the questioning of the scenario, that topic is avoided, simply because you don't want to fight with your colleagues. You're 50 centimeters next to each other, and you have to work together. And if you fight, that's not very helpful. And it's not helpful for the patients, most of all. May I ask a question in this context? Um, if the people who believe in the corona narrative and believe um, in the need for the vaccine, do they think, oh, this is collateral damage, but it's for the uh, greater common good, for the uh, common health? Uh, that people should have been vaccinated and then we have this individual damage that's um, tough luck for the individual but if you uh, see there's so many of them then they should start um, um, wondering or what's their explanation then well there were some who were not questioning in the beginning, but then they started to question when they got the second shot and uh, noticed how the patients react. And now uh, note that the uh, politics want a third, five, fifth, never-ending story. So they feel uh, tricked. And the number of people who awaken, all that is quite a overused term. You have to be hit. It has to hit them. You have to get uh, close to the bullets. Some relative has to uh, get hurt for you to leave your comfort zone. Otherwise, you won't do so and start asking questions. Question or Putting these questions in is... Um, uncomfortable until the point that you can present this to others is another step and I am a bit of a spiritual person as well 
And we live in this period of development of the humanity that we move away from the time of the group soul, that means the feeling of we, of us. We are moving towards the individual perception. Uh, the anthroposophists talk about the soul of consciousness. We've been living in the soul of emotions, and now we are moving to a quality um, which good leaders like Martin Luther King, John F. Kennedy, Mahatma uh, Gandhi had an an eye. They had their own standing. They had a connection to their hearts. As uh, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry expressed, you think with the heart and you see only with the heart, is what he said. Um, so if the hearts start to think and um, if this capability to find the law in themselves that leads themselves to take personal action, that's where humanity may and has to develop too. And we see that coming up in places. We don't need any external laws anymore, ideally. The development goes to everybody having their own moral law, court law, in themselves and uh, if that um, moral competency is growing of course this system which had controlled us with the laws from outside fights back quite brutally that's always what happens in evolutionary changes over history then this new upcoming system always questions the old system and everybody who's connected with the old system for whatever reason, and that is not meant in a negative way, they feel threatened. They feel threatened simply because they want everything to stay as it was. And these are the people who bring equality to the world. They are alone at first. They are people like you, people who do not scare away from speaking and looking for the truth without compromises. It's all about looking for truth and be that related to the outer world or the inner world. And this is why I see Corona as a necessary development, and I'm of the deep conviction that this is absolutely necessary in the worldwide uh, perspective um, to stop the sleep of everything and uh, waken people up and overcome this sleepiness. So Corona as a catalyst for a new level of consciousness. Yes, definitely. There are no coincidences. And there are quite harsh expressions of this in the Bible, in the Old Testament, eye by eye, tooth by tooth. If you um, have, um, uh, you cut off the hands of the thief 
and so on. That is an um, uncomfortable story that if I have a small child, I am responsible for its education as good as it, as I can. And I always have to act from a perspective that I am ahead of the child. So if I have to hold the kid back strongly to stop it from running off, uh, running onto a street, which may be dis difficult. Maybe I start, uh, maybe dangerous. Maybe I'll start by I would even have to inflict pain on it, that it knows what it, what this means. If it inflicted pain on somebody else, everybody who has children um, will have to have that. Okay, we have to give that kid a little punch so that it uh, notices that it hurts mama if I poke my finger in her eye. And uh, this position of the person, of a human being to their own child um, is the next level. And this position is, uh, the next level has that position to us. And it's always with good intentions because the essence of us people is not the physical immortality. <clears throat> and that's the big gap. And that's a true gap. It's a true uh, gap that goes through the society. People who are thinking inside of materialism and think of immortality as physical immortality because the technology is moving and there's lots of technologies. And I was very fond of that. I have to say I love science fiction, Perry Roden, Star Trek, all these things. Now we have seemed to lost the line. Well, the Zoom feed is frozen now. Well, otherwise, before Mr. Gruner hopefully comes back soon, we uh, could take a look at the uh, picture that I sent uh, over recently. Mr. Gruner is certainly among the few who are becoming ever more. The few uh, doctors who are um, going public, many see what's happening, but many lack the courage to say um, what's happening, possibly because, and that has been just mentioned, because they're afraid to lose uh, their livelihood. But many people speak out. This is one of them, Professor Wolfgang Furringer. We'd like to interview him. I'll read it out. The greatest joke, uh, the idea to install Mr. Lauterbach as uh, health minister is the greatest uh, joke since Caligula made his horse consul. The claim he was an experienced uh, doctor um, is bereft of any uh, justification, as is the uh, claim that he is a trained epidemiologist. He's not uh, accepted as a um, an expert by anyone. As a, a politician uh, for the uh, CDU, I have the competence to be able to um, judge this. God protect us from Mr. Lauterbach. I would, was going to ask Mr. Gruner about this. I doubt that he would uh, contradict uh, this. These are the two 
extremes. Uh, Dr. Gruner, who has real physical experience, a uh, patient experience, uh, where it really uh, matters um, at the forefront, and Mr. Lautwach, who doesn't. Well, the bigger joke was even Mr. Spahn, uh, at least the uh, without any apparent qualification at all. But at least he didn't pretend like he was a doctor. He simply pretended like he was a bank clerk, and then he had to admit that he don't even, doesn't even understand that business. So uh, maybe, Dr. Gruner, uh, we've lost that him now. Um, we will keep in contact with him because I uh, believe he has to tell us a lot more. I found it quite impressive how he uh, told us um, about his perception, his observations, and I hope that this and what we just saw will encourage many other uh, doctors and other health workers to go public and tell us what they see and what they keep seeing. Well, in case he comes back, I would have one question to him. I'll just put it here so that we could come. I would be interested in the temporal relationship between the sicknesses that occurred to the point of time in the vaccination. Maybe he could uh, give us uh, some insight on that based on his experience. So if he comes back, I will be happy uh, to hear about that and to put that question. Apart from that, maybe we would welcome the next guest. Dr. Thomas Binder, that's a specialist for cardiology and general internal medicine. That's a story like we know it from the legal profession as well, from our colleague Beate Barner. He, uh, after publishing a critical article, among others, on the mortality of SARS-CoV-2 in March 22, indicating that there was less than 0.1% mortality, he was forcibly detained and um, uh, arrested in his practice and then forcibly psychiatrically detained for six days because of self-indulgence in corona madness and then also somewhat forcibly medicated on an outpatient basis because of alleged mania. In the prevailing corona nonsense narrative, the wrong test indication still precedes the wrong test, namely testing not only seriously ill hospitalized patients with specific antiviral therapy needs. And he says a picture says more than a thousand words, and we can see a picture here. It's about the fundamental hoax of identifying other diagnoses with a positive Corman-Drosten RT-PCR nonsense test as COVID cases. Well, Thomas, are you there, or um, did we just lose all Zoom feeds? I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Great. Dr. Thomas Binder, we've spoken before. Uh, Dr. Binder is one of the experts who will help us in the context of the grand jury proceedings. Thomas, I didn't uh, know about what uh, I just read here. Sorry, the medical uh, equivalent of the um, lawyer Werther um, Bana. Um, did that lead to an outcry at least? Well, I was even there in the line a day um, ahead of her. So first of all, I'd like to uh, start by thanking you for that excellent work you're doing in these 90 sessions, um, talking about the uh, facts. And thank you for allowing me to share my little 
contribution. Maybe I could just briefly introduce myself. I studied medicine in Zurich. Um, I have a doctorate in um, um, virology because I wanted to know whether I should go to hospital or research. I decided to go to a hospital specializing in cardiology and I look back on to 30 years of practical work, um, of course, including respiratory effects, um, 10 years in hospitals, intensive uh, care units, and for 24 years in a uh, praxis near Zurich. So in 2020, I was there in my consultancy, and I was surprised everything that I had learned in uh, my university course and my practical research training and my practical work was overnight washed off the table, wiped off the table. Uh, you have pointed out um, um, if, if somebody who is called the doctor, even if they have no idea of what the, this is all about, had to find out or note immediately is the wrong test indication. Usually these respiratory viruses have self-limitating, cause self-limitating diseases. How did we do this prior to 2020 when we had a flu or a cold? We did our own therapy. And usually we took to three to seven days to get better. And only if it got really bad, we went to a uh, doctor and maybe they found a pneumonia that was ambulant um, out, outpatient and that was done and after another couple of days. And only very, very severe cases we were sent to hospital and this had been done for decades, for centuries, and that has been um, cast off by people being sent to hospital because they had a little scratch in their throat with the fear of having to die, and maybe they have to suffocate to death. Um, and I, until today, understand, don't understand why not every doctor noticed this. So I was there, um, which was uh, half empty because we could only do emergency treatments uh, to keep reserves for the wave of patients. So I was there in an empty practice and I had time. And if I have time, I can think. And if I have time to think, I apparently start to become dangerous. Um, this corona narrative is really nonsense. Um, um, uh, we do not have asymptomatic uh, um, contactation, and um, it's all through the line. That is something you don't have to be neither a doctor nor a science to understand that. Um, you need a certain basic smartness and common sense to notice. So what's my job as a doctor? Somebody comes to see me as a patient, of course. I have to 
uh, inform you about the disease that you have, the condition that you're in, um, so that you can understand that as medical layman, so that you can decide what to do next. And I saw the same thing with society. I saw my job as a doctor to inform the people, the society, in a way that layman can understand and take a an informed decision. And so immediately I started writing emails to colleagues, uh, journalists, politicians. Um, I said the test is wrong. There has never been any epidemiologic asymptomatic transfer of a respiratory vi virus. This CFRA, the case mortality rate, which was explained as 2%, that this is not relevant. Relevant is the IFA, AFR, the infection um, mortality rate, which is uh, much more lower because of the dark figures of the non-tested. And there was a biologist who called themselves epidemiologist um, coming up with the thesis that 5% of the patients will go to intensive care. And then the problem is the same, and then everybody is tested, but not all infected people in the population are tested, and so the relation is even worse um, because it's 100%. And uh, so, uh, and then I had not got any answer. Um, there was just silence. Not an answer, bullshit, no. Um, and then I started to take to the social medias, Twitter, Facebook, posting it, because I didn't get into the media, no journalist listened, and I started blogging. And one of the big blogs was done Thursday prior to Easter 2020. I explained all of that uh, in a way so that everybody um, has uh, who has got three brain cells would understand it and within 24 hours that blog was clicked 20,000 times so i didn't understand why uh, it wasn't the doctors um who uh, had to be informed i had to inform the whole world uh, okay i did it so i wanted to have a holiday over easty and said okay my other colleagues will come and spread the same news and uh, we have viral um, clarification, and in a week it'll be over. Well, after things happened, on Saturday I was in my um, consultancy to finish off the work before my holiday, um, doing the reports and uh, transfers. Um, I had my deadlines, so. We have the same thing. And then I was uh, attacked uh, with uh, with an anti-terror unit. 60 policemen invaded this place. Madness. And it is, uh, we know cases like Sam White in England, and uh, there was a case in US and Canada where people uh, from the authorities or doctors uh, doctors' associations were attacked and be called as uh, mad. It is important to note 
that I was not primarily attacked by the state because of my uh, enlightenment campaign, but a person I know very well uh, read these emails that I have informed them, of course, and oh, they read the blogs and then in these tweets um, thought that was a threat a threat to society, to the authorities. If I say something like this virus is not risky for more risky, uh, more dangerous for the population than flu and so on. And it called someone, um, a politician I know very, very well. Um, this would be the um, prime minister. Uh, both know my number. So, in a talk, they decided uh, that I must be mad and dangerous. This uh, person said I was armed and I had a psychiatry um, amnesia. Um, so, um, in a normal world, well, they would have called me saying, Thomas, what are you talking about? You start talking about funny things, what's going on? And then I could have explained to them, informed them, and uh, we'd say, hey, come on, let's, let's, let's have a corona and talk about it. Uh, no, they uh, got the police command, and this is how all of that was launched. So I was, after an hour, um, they found out there's no risk here. No, um, there was 150 pages of leads and Facebook, Facebook posts, and there was never any threat. You have to be very, uh, have a lot of fantasy to see any threat in that. And um, uh, he saw I wasn't armed. Um, um, I my arm um my i got uh, an army gun from the 1980s which i got um i was a paramedic then and 15 years ago um when i uh, left the military i kept it at home without any animation may sound funny but this is tradition in switzerland and at one o'clock in the morning when they raided my home um, they panicked my wife that nearly killed her and um, found this weapon where I've told it since it's there for 15 years without ammunition. And they said, okay, it's true. And then they sent an uh, emergency doctor. And uh, in April 2020, um, I uh, she came there with a... Uh, FEP2 mask at the time, she said, put on the mask, put on the mask, the virus. And she had to assess my mental condition. And uh, of course, she uh, I, uh, showed her what's going on. I showed her the gap in society, which has never been there before. And this doesn't happen with immediate effect. It's not spontaneous. There is also always a number of people who somehow um, get to confuse everyone and keep them in that confusion. And the other side uh, thinks I am the mad person, and the other, and I think the other part, part, party is other side are the mad people. 
So I said, look, um, for example, here, 28th of February, 20, New England Journal of Medicine. Uh, before Corona, that was one of um, our doctor's darling, uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci himself, in an editorial uh, calling Navigating the Anti um, Uncharted. Um, saying that is highly likely the I, uh, infection mortality rate of the virus would be in the same realm of um, influenza. So at that time, he uh, told the doctors um, probably there is no risk. I showed that to her and she said, I'm mad. And uh, she just came up with a handwritten note and said, Corona madness? Said, that's a new diagnosis. I've never heard of that before. Um, madness is not enough to be um, forced uh, and uh, forcibly medicated. And uh, apparently I was not risked of... Um, uh, no risk to others, so I was uh, classified to be a risk to myself. Uh, although I have um, been posted saying I was uh, uh, 58, I am fit, I'm sporty, I don't take any medic medicine, I would never commit suicide because I was aware that I am in difficult territory. And then I was in the cell uh, for 36 hours. And then there was the first interview after 36 hours. Um, until then, I didn't know what was uh, the accusation. And then well, I was there another couple of another couple of days. Until then, I had um, appealed. I was let out. A psychiatrist gave me the uh, diagnostic mummy and. Uh, Maybe I was a bit hyperactive uh, in lighter mania, uh, and I thought this information had to go out. It has to be spread exponentially. Maybe I was a bit overmotivated, um, and uh, that, of course, the um, was a mania for the psychiatrist. I have never had that before. I even had to take a neuroleptism. Um, and that was uh, tested every week because I had the option either you stay here for six weeks uh, for therapy or you can go home but then you have to take this medicum, this drug. So I had to do that. Um, I took it for a couple of weeks. Um, luckily, my liver got better um, and then I could stop it and I could uh, get out of these um, um, psychiatry uh, bondage and uh, go to a different psychiatrist. And um, they uh, attested that I'm wrong. I'm completely healthy. And um, uh, yeah, I had to submit myself to regular tests for a year. But that's my story. What's important? Oh. What they did to you there was uh, forced medication. That's um, um, 
violation of your uh, physical integrity, that must have consequences. Now, wouldn't leave those people off the hook. Uh, you have some good lawyers in Switzerland as well. Uh, first things first, uh, of course, but then leave none of those people off the hook. I don't believe, uh, as I keep hearing, well, we have to heal society. Yes, it, it has to, but not that way, not uh, by allowing the perps off the hook. It has to have consequences this time around for those who are left. I believe, uh, as Dr. Gruner explained, that there is a certain spirituality that will come to our aid if we do the right thing. And I believe that as lawyers, we only have a little bit of cleanup work to do, but we will have to do it. And the people who do that sort of thing, when you explained that, I was thinking there's somebody coming along uh, with an FFB2 mask at a time when even Fauci said we don't need any special measures. Even Drosten said it, and uh, we don't need a mask. And she is the one to assess your uh, mental uh, state. Maybe the other way around would have made sense, but maybe it comes to that. Um, it's really scary to see what methods they used. The calming thing is that it always comes to light with Beata Bana, with Sam Noit, uh, and it always caused shockwaves in uh, society because that is just one uh, step too far. The basis for such uh, interventions and um, uh, submissions is uh, the so-called psych kg and you can um, be submitted uh, to a, a closed ward um, if they're dangerous to themselves or others but uh, normally uh, you need to be heard by a judge with the presence of a lawyer, so they didn't have to leave you um, in that cell for 36 hours. Um, they should have done it the other way around, then it would have made sense. Did you hear uh, similar stories from colleagues, or are you uh, hopefully an exception in Switzerland? Well, of course, we are going to start a criminal case against this, but for this time being, we have decided to wait as long as we are in the system we are in. Um, we It has no chance, but um, we are um, seeing our chances growing as the narrative is in free fall. We have filed a complaint. Um, the professor had to do an expertise, 120 pages. But if you read it, it says it's all wrong. But in the end, it was in the end, it was all right. So uh, the newspapers, of course, cover this uh, conclusion. Um, uh, the uh, regional um, smear papers. I'm still the mad terrorist, uh, threatening people, talking strange things, and of course he was rightly um, attacked by the anti-terror unit. But the good thing is, I have lost a couple of elderly patients who could by all means not believe that the Swiss TV that they pay a franc per day to be well balanced and objectively informed that, that lies to him and Binder says the truth but most of my patients know me good well enough 
to say that even if you have no idea of uh, Corona, this is too much. This is not uh, Thomas Binder, as we know. That is uh, all foul. And um, this new medicine, um, people lose their trust in the existing medicine. And um, we all know by now, um, I could get five colleagues here to uh, cover the number of patients. So material, there was no, no damage. On the contrary, um, but I forgot your question, sorry. <laughs> Whether you are hopefully an exception or whether there are other comparable cases. Um, I think they only believe, uh, try, uh, dare do that once, and there's a shockwave and a response from society. They test, and when they get this response from uh, society, they don't do it again. Was that your case? Well, I was the first in line in Switzerland. I'm the only one that was uh, attacked that way. But uh, until today, I have also always followed the rules uh, because I'm not stupid. I did so. Of course, I tried to not uh, just inform the public, but the uh, authorities as well about the nonsense that they have. But I wasn't heard, and uh, and I didn't um, break any law. That's why they couldn't do anything against me. So in Switzerland and Germany, the main. Uh, um, the main accusation is that the colleagues assigned masks from remote without having seen the patient. Of course, the masks are um, not good and uh, not uh, ha harmful for um, somebody who has no disease. So for the general publics, these masks don't make sense. They are even dangerous. Of course, everybody would need a certificate freeing them from wearing the mask. But of course, we can never uh, do a certificate from remote, and neither in the past nor now. Obviously, if we certify anything for any patient, we have to um, look them, examine them, and note why we do that. And if we do that and do that with the masks, we are not attackable. So I um, issued mask certificates, but of course, only after in detail examining the patient and if there was a medical reason, and there are many reasons, um, I issued these. Uh, uh, so I did that, and I could never be attacked on that. So that's uh, the point. Of course, uh, whether consciously or not consciously, um, it's uh, my case shows the overreaction. All reason, all reasonability, all uh, appropriateness has been left. Apart from these two people calling me, Thomas, we hear strange things from you. They send an anti-terror unit. So um, that is the madness. And that surely had a uh, example effect on the other doctors who rather said, oh, dear, maybe I just shut up and uh, wait what is going to come. I have a question on these two people. It's amazing when there was that proximity between them. Did they, did they actually believe this? Can you imagine that? Or did they simply anticipate what 
they uh, were expected to do in order to um, position themselves or could it have uh, political motivations? I don't think so. At that point in time, I think both of these uh, people were completely brainwashed, like nearly everyone. And I think they really believed in it. And uh, at least one of the two persons um, still believes in that, that she knows more about corona than me as a doctor. Uh, this person has nothing to do with medicine, um, but I think until today they think they understand more about uh, a doctor who has uh, done a doctorate in uh, virology. Um, quite unbelievably, I think they are primarily brainwashed, some of them still today thinking that they are going in the right way and that we are the mad people. Well, it was uh, noteworthy um, um, that in the uh, German-speaking area, um, two people, you from the medical profession and then Beate Bahner, um, as a um, an attorney uh, were treated that way, and um, I was very much impressed uh, by what happened to Beata Bahana. I don't know when it happened exactly. It was on Sunday. I was in line on Saturday. She was on Sunday. Well, um, Beata started uh, the uh, petition. Uh, I started this uh, petition in March that we get clear data. And I was wondering when it happened to her, wow, what will happen now? Will all critical attorneys now uh, be confronted with that kind of accusation? Particularly because in Germany, more than in other countries, we uh, did see some resistance by attorneys. I was called up by other attorneys who asked me, like, what's happening here? So you get the feeling that uh, this is nearly a coordinated effort. But maybe it was just such internal um, proceedings where people thought, oh, this is not possible, or he is destroying the narrative, but then will uh, create a danger to those who believe him. And um, it is actually dangerous to go out in public without a, a mask. Maybe that's what they thought. Well, as a doctor, I'm, of course, a professional conspirational theorist. But uh, now, um, this was no conspiracy. It was uh, something for the coincidence theoretics. Um, I think in Germany and in Switzerland, there was the same atmosphere. And if the atmosphere is the same, the spirit is the same, it's easy to overreact and without the Swiss uh, police command and the German uh, police command phoned each other. So for me, that is more likely. But there is a conspiracy of a few, but this is something that we'll have to talk about. The, this, many people think it's just a journalist and doctor is part of that. No. It's quite different. It's a handful of psychopaths that start this thing, and then many of them who have their own agenda jump on that running train, uh, hopefully hoping to go to their luck, but it's into all our disaster. 
and they f have different interests. Not everybody who plays along has the same interest. In the uh, end, you could be just be interested in popularity, making money, recognition, without having anything to do with the basic um, core of that uh, conspiracy. But the problem always is the silent majority that allows this. Um, it's not a pandemic of a killer virus, it's a pandemic of cowards, starting with us. And of course, it needs the narrative. And uh, there's such a nonsense from A to Z that uh, it can only survive. It's it's an a, a intellectual death uh, birth. It, uh, uh, now it's been uh, kept alive for two years. Um, and it needs that. But as a doctor, of course, I would uh, look in our ranks for the culpable because it's a medical problem. And if every doctor, I'm not a hero. Um, I always hear that. I know I didn't want to be a hero. I'm not going to be a hero. I just did my job as a doctor as I had done before 2020 as well. And if every one of our colleagues uh, had done their job and stood up, uh, it would have taken a week. Um, and the media would have allowed that uh, we say that in public, then this nonsense narrative would have been over and done within a week. You've been used for many years. Just a few days ago, I spoke with an um, expert group who uh, deal with eugenics and genocide, because this plays into this. Um, some of the psychopaths um, have this goal. Uh, among them, Vera Sharaf, um, the Holocaust survivor. She was eight years old when she was liberated. And she said, again, it is, above all, the doctors who made it possible back then who make it possible again this time. But this time it goes way further because just like you, I believe uh, what uh, was done to you and Beata Bana and was with, uh, done with Sam uh, was an overreaction uh, of the block leaders. Um, and this block leader mentality is um, something that many people have and some psychopaths who uh, trigger this um, uh, banality of evil, as you call it, um, um, who trigger this. And uh, the benefactors are those who uh, pull the strings. And they know full well that uh, um, among themselves, they, have, they don't stand a chance. They need the blog wardens. They need the medical professional um, because they know that the medical training has nothing to do with questioning anymore, hasn't for a long time. It doesn't work with everybody. Uh, it doesn't work with you, for instance. But they do the, the same thing to the legal experts, obviously. And here it was a coordinated effort. Um, the way they handled the two judges from uh, Weimar, the uh, family a lawyer and a friend simply because he was a friend of one of the judges. That was a coordinated effort which didn't target the people involved um, because it was obvious 
they wouldn't have exposed themselves if they hadn't known what they uh, would have been up against, if they hadn't had the courage to uh, live against this. It was a signal to the rest of the legal profession that if you're not online, we'll beat you into submission. And even that didn't work because even in this smoking rubble of uh, that I see the uh, German legal system to be, there are still upstanding lawyers. And uh, just like you, we believe we just do our job. That's just part of it. We have to inform our clients. And we have to tell them you can take this route or that one. And that one is the more promising one. You can claim, uh, you can argue that there are no viruses. I wouldn't advise you to do that. Um, but the PCR test might be the right uh, avenue. But if that doesn't work anymore, if at the individual level, I can explain that to the individual patient, as you said, I can explain it to the individual client. But if I see that there's a mass panic here, uh, that was uh, triggered here, then I have to go public and I have to speak to as many people as possible. That's our job. I really believe that this is our job. We can't do anything else. We can't be uh, simply sit back and say, oh, I'll wait for the wave to crash over me. No, I'd rather get on the board and surf the wave down. So we have to do all we can, everything we can. The medical uh, people uh, legal experts, everybody, to take what we have realized public. And then the House of Cards will collapse because, as you said, the whole thing was a stillbirth. Uh, the PCR test, uh, anyway, the corona narrative was a stillbirth, and this is crumbling now. And um, some people who have been installed as politicians um, are, wa um, are still holding out, but they're still wavering. Um, because uh, there's a lot of jokes being made about politicians who don't know what they're doing at all at all. They may know who they are halfway, but that's all. Well, apparently they managed over the last 30, 40 years. Uh, if we look back on how that uh, time of Nazism started in the late 70s, there was a title story in Spiegel, um, um, 79, Nazism, the face of an era. And since then, they have been spilled up. You have to be a good actor. The show is more than being. And we've got these people in the positions of power. And um, they can be easily um, manipulated by the ones above them. If you are in a narcissistic village idiot and you give him money and power and the position, then for a lifetime he will turn your slave. He will do everything for you. He will go to hell for you. So that's the level Spahn, Drosten, and so on. And Lauterbach. Well, well, it is a shame. I I had um, uh, 46 followers on Twitter, which is, uh, was quite something. And uh, uh, it's interesting to see that the uh, top people of the um, Paul Lelich Institute and the RKRI and the German, uh, the Swiss um, comparison are uh, political scientists and not doctors. Well, you're talking about the media reach. 
<clears throat> yes, so I had quite a range. I tweeted in English because I found out that the English countries were developing countries where we had this in Germany. So maybe two names, Sucharit Bhakti and Wolfgang Wodak are important names um, who deserve the honor. I have to say I have uh, immediately noticed this and I wanted to go to public, but Imagine I couldn't uh, be 99% safe only. If I go to the public and the tsunami of the killer virus comes, that would be the end of my life as a doctor. So I was thankful um, to have the YouTube, um, when YouTube allowed that still, uh, you, uh, Bhakti and Vodak, and I said, okay, these say, think and say the same things as I do. And you just have to look at them and you see they are honest, smart, um, Vorical people who have no uh, benefit from what they do as they are um, uh, uh, pensioners, so as they are retired. So, and when I saw these two uh, saying the same thing as I did, um, my um, certainty went from 99 to 200%, and that made me go public. And Twitter, um, I uh, told um, on the 27th of March, I tweeted to the health office the Wheeler video where a courage journalist at the time asked, what is a corona death? And Wheeler said, a corona death is anyone with a positive test. That was in March 2020, and on the same day or next day, the Italian authorities said um, we do not differentiate between with and um, because of uh, corona. And I tweeted that and say, look, if that we have that, uh, stop that. Look at this, this uh, renegotiate the situation, and that was. Uh, shared around a couple of times, 20 times only, but I was blocked immediately. And Drosten in March 20, um, I heard him saying, uh, Professor Drosten, now stand up, take responsibility and explain to the people why in my practice I have uh, more grandmothers who cry because they can't see their um, grandchildren than flu patients. Uh, so Twitter was a genius because you could simply um, hold up reality to to their um, situation, to what they said, and when they shared their tweets, they shared the other view as well. Uh, I uh, tweeted earlier, it's not the test. The test is the disease, not the di not the virus. The test is the pest and uh, short uh, tweets. And um, from end of March 2021, I was uh, deleted without precaution after I have um, published the letter, the open letter to EMA of doctors, uh, where we asked questions and raised our concerns on the infections, which have all been confirmed by today. What we, Sukhar Bhakti and others said, has become reality. And um, just sharing this 
was deleted. And of course, we tried to send a registered letter to Dublin and nothing came back. So that's quite great uh, that these uh, social media move in a uh, non-legally, non-legalized space. So of course, not only the uh, narrative, um, they only have to have the control of the narrative, including the uh, social or asocial media, particularly because they have been uh, developed or founded uh, with the participation of the American intelligence services, that is a suspicion which is uh, being increasingly corroborated. Um, I heard that from a colleague who knows about the uh, secret uh, institutions in the US. So what um, comes to the fore is all these private institutions. Uh, YouTube belongs to Google that you have to take on. It's all private uh, institutions. There is. Um, uh, quite a number of lawsuits pending. There are some of our colleagues who are well versed in this uh, context. Uh, colleague Steinhofer, for instance, from Hamburg, are quite successful there. Every judge should realize that if that is allowed, that private uh, companies decide on what are the limits of uh, freedom of speech, and that's what they do, then we don't need uh, any courts of law anymore. So judges should realize that they are making themselves redundant if they uh, allow this. So we should hope that there's a little bit of um, uh, reason, because that would uh, render the judicial system superfluous. That's where those path of, uh, uh, psychopaths want to go. Um, they want to um, abolish the, uh, democracy and the judicial system because they want to determine from the top down what's right and what's wrong. And then we have to get back uh, to what uh, Dr. Andreas Gruner said earlier. We all know what's right and wrong. We know that. And that's why at the end of the day, we probably really don't need a judicial system anymore because this um, inbuilt and that is the uh, fundamental conviction of natural law because the inbuilt intuition of any human being who's not completely mad is sufficient to recognize uh, whether this or uh, that's this is right and that's wrong this is good and that is evil that's enough but we're not yet there we have to go through the uh, this valley of tears the light of the end of the tunnel is always important but it's uh, quite deplorable that we have to deal with that sort of thing as well, that in the asocial media, um, I see that the same way that in the asocial media, media they can um, denigrate you, um, call you any names, and you can hardly take any legal action against it. The best you can do is ignore it or um, juxtapose your own reasonable activities against this. Uh, I don't know uh, how often Viviana, well, you can't attack her anymore uh, because somebody is uh, uh, a lawyer and an economist and a hat maker. How can you hold that against anybody? But they tried to keep it, uh, to hold it against her. I'd say keep your nerve, keep going, and then it'll work out. Um, the truckers in Canada uh, beat Justin back into his cave. Anyway, we can't see him anymore. We can't hear about him anymore. We spoke to a former um, journalist, a journalist from the uh, formerly with the German um, public TV station, and she said, "No, he's not visible anymore. She lives there, uh, but she believes that he is one of the 
puppets. He has no substance, but he doesn't have uh, seem to have realized yet that his highly arrogant um, persona, public persona, is no longer um, successful. He was seen in Parliament, and um, he was received with uh, less than goodwill, and then he left. So. The truckers, we may say, by their actions, actions speak louder than words, have made things clear in Canada. It's not the end yet. Um, we have to do what we can do best and show that we can do it. Well, it is. That's the beauty of it. It is the grounded people who realize what's good and evil, what's good and uh, what's right and wrong. It's the academics who completely fail here. What's worse than ignorance is arrogance. Ignorance means not to know something, and arrogance is to believe that you know something without any doubt, and that is the majority of the academic elites. In their ignorance, in their arrogance, they, it doesn't even enter their heads that they might be wrong, not evenly, even uh, slightly wrong, but completely wrong, 180 percent uh, degrees wrong. I think that's important. Most people who go along are not evil. They're simply completely brainwashed, just like the majority of population. The academics have been more brainwashed than uh, the grounded population. I think that's important. Generally speaking, uh, in terms of psychopaths, uh, maybe that's my uh, benefit, why I saw it all. Uh, psychopathy is something that I was always interested in, and it was this Canadian psychologist who first um, analyzed psychopaths, the who, who visited mass murders in uh, the high security jails, and he analyzed them and he defined what psychopathy. But the same doctor then later said, "Hey, most people think the evil is the." personified evil and that's locked up in a, a jail and we see it in a, a cinema as Hannibal Lecter or so, but they don't walk among us. And there was a subsequent book by uh, Robert Deher and Paul Bobiak, I think his colleague is called, uh, called Snakes in Suits. And that's the so-called socialized psychopaths who uh, walk freely and as narcissists and psychopaths, they're uh, severe narcissists and evil narcissists, they are taken to the top in this uh, age of narcissism and they occupy these uh, positions of power in the financial industry, in the pharmaceutical industry, and nearly everywhere in uh, the positions of power. And um, they're free, of course. Uh, just one example. How often has uh, uh, Pfizer been uh, uh, condemned, uh, so a uh, license study by Pfizer company should be read with uh, great care. Maybe something on the injections as well. Again, you need three connected brain cells, uh, not washed, to understand that this um, plan for a, a protein that's not uh, natural to your body and inject it without control of where this uh, protein will then take effect without control 
of where this uh, foreign protein will be manufactured and in what quantity. Apparently, it is mostly produced in the heart muscle, and it destroys the heart uh, muscle. Then you have myocarditis. If it's uh, uh, replicated in the liver, you have a uh, liver failure. If you, Viviana, for instance, produced one uh, a billion spike proteins, another one 10 billion, and myself 100 billion, that's a huge uh, difference. Whether you take one sleeping pill or 100, that's a big difference. So we don't know about this. We don't know the effectively... Um, the, the, the actually effective dose for each individual, Paracelsius uh, said back in his day, it's the dose that makes the, uh, the poison. So a physician with three connected uh, brain cells needs to realize this is absurd. And Robert Malone uh, has realized that his idea 30 years back wasn't so clever and he's on the right side now. But it's certain um, we should um, shouldn't fail to see the forest for all uh, the woods for all the trees. But that applies to all fields, not only medicine, but uh, the legal experts, engineering, etc. I keep saying we have super specialists for every individual tree, but those who can still see the forest are dying out. And you and myself and Sucharit and Wolf, uh, Gang, etc. We have this information when we see something. Then, of course, our uh, subconscious intelligence uh, comes into play. Uh, we smell a rat, we taste something, so we can see it at a glance. Somehow we kept this ability to take a bird's eye view, to see the forest, and most are only uh, going after individual trees anymore, or even individual leaves. And they try to recognize the universe in the leaf of a tree rather than uh, looking at the forest as a whole. And um, um, then, of course, um, um, uh, there's uh, videos by another uh, speaker who explains how the neoliberal uh, revolution is um, progressing, that everybody's individualized. Now we have to look down to see whether we are still male or female. So every self-confidence is to be taken away from us so that at the end of the day we're, we don't even know who we are. And then, of course, we are easy to manipulate who will follow like lemmings um, and run after the mad. I wanted to say a little note. One interesting thing is, when was there any outcry in the media when a doctor, if that hadn't, uh, freaked out? A doctor freaked out and gets to psychiatry. Um, nobody would have cared about it. <clears throat> there wouldn't have been a global report in the media on this. So that shows if this had been a coincidental event that uh, two people were concerned and this was really the case and uh, they didn't use it for self-profilation this global phenomena 
um, that may have triggered the uh, fear in others may not have happened. And I think at least people uh, jumped on the opportunity to present themselves to push their agenda forward <clears throat> or do some kind of concerted actions. I have a friend who is a chief editor in one of the relevant daily news um, stations, and he was concerned in the beginning, saying, oh, the economy will go down. That was my major concern in the beginning, was couldn't see uh, what was all going on. But the impression was that for career um, consideration that hadn't been followed up. And I think that this aspect that I um, rather do what helps me and not wonder about what's going on outside, no matter how brainwashed I am, that may play a big role. And uh, from the same group of friends, the Zesha Lennartz, he's a journalist from Die Welt, who um, wrote a very um, uh, un, uh, uh, unbearable article um, about me connecting me with people who um, do strange things. So very, very weird and unpleasant article. But he's someone I've been knowing him for 26 years. And um, on using our friendship relationship, he got to that interview and uh, wrote things that were Ron um, hoping probably to profile himself as an investigative journalist in some way, saying that he's the great guy who got this interview. It wasn't known that he would uh, do that by misusing my uh, trust. And these uh, career tactics actually do play a major role in all of that, because when I had him in her discussion, that cost me two days of my life. Uh, that's how long we talked. And he uh, was completely open to our aspects. So it wasn't expectable that he would write this kind of article and had led me in the confidence that um, he would uh, invert things, um, how he's talked to me. And of course, these are tricks that where I wouldn't assume that people are just brainwashed all the time. They are quite clear uh, in what they do and use that, in my opinion, quite directly for their own career, hoping uh, to get a good position in the new system they may be see coming up. Uh, get their get their place there. I think these aspects do play a role, uh, maybe even a bigger role than we may have thought. Um, saying that I'm crazy on the Corona um, thing, he was just relaxed talking to me without his mask. If he had been afraid, maybe he should have talked to me on Zoom. If uh, that was the outcome, um, what he had written in the article. Um, I would uh, say that's hate or defamation, what he did. In Switzerland, there was a scandal of a, uh, Mr. Walter, the CEO of one of the big media groups, 
There is the NIA Group, TX Group, and CH Media, three major media corporations in Switzerland, all um, owned by uh, families of billionaires, leaking an interview where um, he was. Um, he said that, of course, immediately he had told all, ordered all his journalists to uh, follow that pandemic of the century in Switzerland since the Second World War and only and immediately and only follow the line of the government in this fight, in this war against this virus, um, relentlessly stop that and don't ask any question. And a week later, an email was published of him where he um, wrote this to all other CEOs of the media group. And well, uh, um, whether they are all evil or not remains unsaid, um, um, but um, can be people brainwashed all the way up and say, yes, now we are in war against this virus and we have to stand together like in war against this global enemy. That's the idea of it that uh, we can only solve this globally like terrorism or climate change. And that is how we are brought into that global world government. And uh, that is interesting that if we uh, talk about uh, conspiracy, blah, 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 that was a conspiracy, of course. That was not uh, public. This was just made public now. Um, so that is quite interesting mechanisms that play a role here. And fortunately, more and more of these things become public. We've had many people on our side, but most people don't dare yet to step forward. For two years, I've been getting mails and messages thanking me and you, of course, um, virally. We are overloaded with topics, and I ask, what do you do? I can't at the moment, my family, my job, and so on. Anyway, we've got a lot of support, and uh, now the narrative is really in free fall. Everybody can find out now that the initial um, virus um, is uh, diminished now. That's normal um, evolution. We are in the third season now. Um, we got it to 19, to 20, 21. Um, so they spread until April and none in summer. Then we're going to have the false positive tests with a positive rate of 1%. And the population is created the impression that is also there in summer. And just imagine in high summer, uh, we test to an influenza virus which doesn't exist in summer and we wear masks against a virus that's not existent. That's absurd, sweating in 35 degrees. So what about these two people who, uh, these two people that you mentioned who um, put you into the forced um, treatment. They beg your pardon. In that case, I wouldn't. Uh, um, uh, I wouldn't um, uh, 
beg anybody's pardon here of the same applies for the people person Viviana, Viviana talked about of course we um, we assume that they are um, brainwashed and uh, I've met two the other day um, and I was able to talk to them they were able to talk to me but these are people that are evil they have no way of turning back they can only um, uh, you it's a risk of life uh, trusting them they are so far off the pitch uh, that they have to do and stick with their group of psychopaths I don't want to have anything to do with them if that bridge is broken it's broken and I'm not going to build it again yeah I completely agree if uh, they sent me to psychiatry without the cell I could use my phone at least if they had called me dr. Thomas sorry um, we uh, did a wrong assessment we are sorry I mean the last person who would uh, not forgive them but until today these two people have never um, asked for excuse and of course I have no contact with them these are people they're not, un not unknown um, the first one is still anonymous but of course we know who it was um, we've, we know who it is the person and the other is uh, still the um, former president of a government uh, so these are people who will um, get their, get their uh, court case don't worry but they simply they simply picked on the wrong one with me um, my story could encourage others perhaps despite of what happened to me i didn't fall back on the contrary i'm um um, one, I'm not someone who always got to have the rights all the way. These people are in Parliament, but if I am right, I fight for the right. And as a doctor, I had to fulfill my duty right from the start. Otherwise, I couldn't have looked in the mirror. And you two um, are in the same position. Um, you would have lost all your self-esteem. Uh, it's with you and with me and with the colleague Gruner, I suppose. We have to go there and look at it. Um, so I don't want to uh, compare to Martin Luther, but um, I am here. I can't do different. And that's it. I had no option. I had to say this immediately. And the good thing is, just think of it. You, you a great people, colleague Greener and all the others, uh, Alite, uh, um, our switch network, um, the uh, radio reports that I reported worldwide. It's great, smart, intelligent, empathic people in a way, connected in a way which they have never been in the history of mankind before. And they have an enemy which they have never had before. And if they try to kill one of us, they will have um, a load of them and uh, they can't even do that and if we all stand together um, they are without a chance and we see they're getting more and more desperate the rats are leaving the sinking ship uh, next week uh, the Switzerland is probably going to lift all the bans at least to a large expense because the extent the Swiss government is a bit smart um, different from the uh, German and the Austrian government is they still run for the suicide but Swiss uh, government's uh, government has only obviously seen that the uh, tables have turned and if they want to save their necks they will have to 
do something. But we all know part one of the agenda is that we John, can't be sleepy again saying, now you do the right thing. We have to carry it up, keep it up. Now we've got the potential collected. People see it's only a um, cold and all the vaccination victims can't be uh, hidden anymore. So that is that uh, bubble is blowing up. And if we see that the majority sees they have been fooled, we have opportunity that at the next trial in autumn or whenever, whatever topic, be it CO2, Ukraine, pandemics, whatever, that the people may think, well, I um, was completely fooled for two years with my own government, so I would wonder a bit earlier whether they want to try to do it again. And so this is why we can't turn back now. It's absolutely great. Your tribunal is good. We're going to <clears throat> do something like that in Winterthur with a demonstration, with a rally in public. We have to move on with the Enlightenment. We've got the momentum on our side and we have to keep it up. I don't know. I have this um, um, one image says more than a thousand words that tells you everything. Um, um, I don't know if you have the time to look at that. If not, you have the documentation. I think this is something that is quite helpful in the courtroom as well. Can we take a look at that, please, very briefly? <coughs> we'll we have to have to move on to Johnny Batmer pretty soon. Tell, tell me, tell me if it's taking too much time. It's it's really an image more than a thousand words, and it's clear, clearly comprehensive to everyone. Um, I've sent that to Corvin. He's probably got it ready. Can you find well, it in the uh, producer production? I didn't get it. They said. Okay, we'll we'll do it next time. We'll show it next time. Maybe I can indicate uh, the um, in, uh, address: www.icu-monitoring.eu, um, and that is. Or can I share my screen? Can I do that? Should we be able to find it? I sent it to Corbin. Um, he was a bit sick. So the correct address is ICU uh, tech.ch. We have a problem. Well, dear friends, can you see my screen? There it is. So this is the near real monitoring of intensive care occupancy at ETH Zurich. That is uh, Switzerland's most famous university. And at uh, icumonitoring.ch you can see the uh, real-time monitoring of intensity care occupancy in Switzerland. And you can see the date on the x-axis. On the y-axis, the number of intensive uh, care patients. The black curve 
is the total of all ICU beds occupied. The green curve is the non-COVID uh, cases, heart attack, etc. And the yellow curve are the COVID patients. You can see first wave, uh, second wave, uh, third, fourth, fifth. Now let's start here. You can see my cursor, I hope, um, because I'm sharing my screen, right? Yes. So uh, let's go back to the summer. So there was no coronavirus here. Um, so 1% of tests is false positive. It's important to know that this uh, number of false positives is, it depends on the prevalence of the virus. So if we test a thousand men with a uh, pregnancy test, 10 will test positive. So we have a problem. If the prevalence of the virus is zero, as the prevalence of uh, pregnancy among men is zero, then all uh, positive tests are false positives, not just some. Most experts don't know this. Uh, so we have this 1% false positives. And suddenly in October, the number of um, COVID victims on intensive care units shot up. So you'd expect, OK, um, here's all those COVID patients. And then there's no reason why the number of heart attacks and uh, strokes should decrease. And we can see at the same time that the curve of COVID uh, patients goes up and the number of uh, non-COVID patients goes down in nearly the same to nearly the same extent and vice versa. These curves are nearly uh, mirror images of each other. The overall number of uh, ICU patients is very stable. There's uh, two humps during the flu season. But imagine if for every patient here who goes to ICU with a diagnosis of uh, COVID, either a supernatural uh, instance, say a god, uh, shifts a uh, strone, a, an embolism of the lung, um, mass crash on the motorway with many um, severely injured, or the explanation is that when you uh, go to a hospital, every um, patient is subjected to the common um, Droster nonsense test and then is considered COVID. And that's exactly what happened. Now, if I'm here, and I have a heart and uh, function, and the test is positive, it uh, takes me to this curve. So this shows beautifully how most COVID diagnostics were freely invented. Other diagnostics, um, other diagnoses are simply replaced by COVID by an incorrect uh, Drosten test. And that may be the um, explanation for this. Uh, just consider, in Germany, there are three times as many intensive care beds uh, per head of population as in Switzerland. Nevertheless, we never had any problem with our uh, ICU uh, capabilities. And uh, in Sweden, there's even half as many. So in Sweden, they should be 
uh, lying in the in the hospital halls in the hallways. And here you can see that in uh, 2020 the number was increased to 1,500, and this uh, has been um, consistently reduced. Actually, the number of uh, ICU beds globally. Is, that is. This is something you can see uh, across the globe, but it's hardly ever shown as beautifully as here with ETH Zurich. And you can go to icumonitoring.ca, you can see this graph. Here we still shifted um, uh, surgery, but there was no reason to do so. This curve should have continued uh, level, and if reserves had become scarce, we could have pushed some um, elective surgery back, but not instantaneously. Uh, one curve responds to the other. Everybody can understand that even scientists who can read these curves, I'm convinced that this is an important proof in front of a court of law, if that's helpful. Crazy. Thomas, thank you very much. Very impressive. I think I'm going to in interview on immunology. I think especially in the proceedings, we will need clear words on natural immunity. Um, that seems to be a push at the moment from the other side. That there is no natural immunity anymore. And um, this is why we'll see the redefinition of herd immunity, which cannot be achieved by natural immunity anymore. That's like calling Earth a disk. <clears throat> and um, although we clearly know that there is no uh, immunity achieved at all by the vaccines, and nothing uh, seems to point out that anything is immunized, um, not even severe causes. All that seems to be a blunt lie, but that will be made overt. Uh, Thomas, we have to change over to uh, Johnny Wetmore, um, but we'll stay in line, stay online. Thank you very much. Well, thanks again for inviting me. And of course, venceremos. Yes, surely. Bye bye. Okay. English um, and to Johnny Vetmore. Johnny, I'm sorry, I have to um, apologize once more that we kept you waiting, but um, I don't know if you've uh, been able to follow this. I don't know if you've seen or heard the um, English translation of this interview. Are you with us? Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can hear hey. you. <laughs> Perfect. Um, right. Hello. How are you? Um, I did I did try and take in as much, but I did only uh, hear it in German. Um, and my German is uh, <laughs> good. But it, it, it does exist to a certain extent. Uh, it was actually quite a meditative process to listen to another language while I was like a of course you're a bit nervous when you come on to something like this so so it's quite a nice uh, a nice he's got a lovely voice uh, and he's very expressive it's very nice um it, 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 I did pick up on certain things um I I did understand really where, what where, what you were kind of talking about because the same words kept coming up again um such as control mm -hmm. which I think is um uh, uh, one of the major issues yeah. with what we're dealing with here is that uh, 
Um, a lot of people uh, can only see the pandemic side of it or the, 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 the fight between what we do at the time, but this is a wider um, uh, prince, uh, like uh, control uh, structure going up around us, uh, has been going up around us in many different ways uh, from many different angles. Um, but this is very definable uh, process. So I, I, I can I, I I was interested in that last graphic. Um, that was very interesting, uh, and I, I I think this is a time where we just get to see graphs over and over again. Yeah. Uh, I did hear you mention uh, Vera Sharav. Yeah. Um, and as she mentioned, uh, one of my articles I did last year on your um, program, and that's uh, that came to my attention last year because uh, I, I wrote an article called Schwab Family Values, which is about the ancestry of uh, Klaus Schwab. And that one moment, to be perfectly honest, in the past few years has, has really given me a, a boost as well because um, I, I take her opinion very highly. Um, so I love the work that you guys are doing and I understand um, a little bit of it, but uh, I, I have um, my, my, my most recent article, obviously, I'm happy to speak about in full, but I'm also happy to speak about anything to do with this agenda, um, and I'm happy to come back on again. Uh, I, I, I try to investigate in a different way yeah. than most people. Um, what I do is I look for the parts that uh, everybody else is missing. Now, that, that, that's pretty easy when you look at the main, if you compare it to the mainstream media, what they do is they basically um, distract you over here and miss out all the information. So so in actual fact, um, a lot of people think, how do I get into journalism? Well, there's loads of stories there to be told. Uh, no one's telling them. And what, what is really important is understanding what is what are the important stories to tell, especially uh, during a time like this. Um, so I work for a, um, I, I'm independent as a journalist. I'm on johnnyvedmore.com, but I also work with Whitney Webb um, on Unlimited Hangout. We do, um, we've done a lot of investigations. Of course, she's done so much fantastic work on exposing um, higher control structures that are usually implemented by intelligence agencies, uh, shadowy organizations and trusts, uh, things that are uh, dislocated and disconnected from the governments that are supposedly in power, which I think we're all aware that um, the World Economic Forum's reach, seeing as they're young global leaders of people like the young global leaders who took power eventually uh, from the World Economic Forum are such people as, as Putin, in Trudeau, Macron, usual suspects, even Blair, I believe, uh, might have been a, a, a world um, economic young global leader. So there's obviously um, a globalist um, agenda to, to this. And so it makes it really complicated with COVID-19 uh, with COVID um, and coronavirus in general, it's made it really complicated um, to work out where the power lies because there's, it's global. It's the real, the, the, the actual situation is global, but there is a way to define um, how the power is dealt out and who deals out the power. Um, and that's really what I wanted to do in my most recent article, which is I had I, been put onto a man called Jeremy Farrar, um, who's the head of uh, the Wellcome Trust, uh, Brief History. 
Um, the Wellcome Trust was set up after the death of Henry Wellcome, uh, who was a pioneer in medicine. He basically invented things like tablets and stuff. You know, did, 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 he, he, he normalized the use of modern medicine, um, made lots of money, of course. His trust became very powerful. Um, up until the mid-90s, it had um, a private arm called Wellcome PLC, which was heavily involved in pharmaceuticals, and an American arm called Burroughs Wellcome. They were the people who were behind AZT, which is the uh, very controversial uh, response to the AIDS drugs. Um, uh, this um, uh, change in, in the mid-90s, around 94, um, Glaxo and Wellcome merged. So Glaxo was a, uh, came along and bought up Wellcome PLC. And then following that, they also then bought uh, Smith, Klein, Beecham. And they were to merge all of these companies together. And from it would come three or four separate entities. Um, so I, I, I hope you're, you're, you're following me here and I'm being yeah, uh, yeah, as, as clear as, as possible. Um, Glaxo Smith Klein was born from this. Um, and the person who manufactured this merger and created GlaxoSmithKline, uh, Beecham's, um, and uh, the Wellcome Trust as it was today, because Wellcome PLC was dispersed and, and let go into the ether of, of the pharmaceutical industry and brought up by Glaxo itself and merged in with them, um, where uh, the Wellcome Trust was set up as a separate entity. And um, Richard Sykes states uh, recently that in 1997, he uh, merged the um uh, he, he he started on a project emerging um government academia and the pharmaceutical industry together so that they could all have the aim of sharing research that they would see as course of beneficial to each of the companies but the, the their selling point beneficial to the whole of humanity because we're all sharing information um and this would give them though uh, certain powers of control on research on grants it would make them the center of um the british research industry really um they most of the grants uh, most of the papers scientific papers that you'll see written by people like oxford and imperial college tend to have welcome trust money attached to it and it's not small amounts of money you know this this is a very powerful uh, foundation it's seen as um uh, a philanthropic foundation rather than any entity within the pharmaceutical industry but obviously um during covid uh they've exposed themselves as having a, quite a wider reach um so in the mid 90s welcome trust was born and the man who made this merger, Richard Sykes, who was the head of Glaxo, um, GlaxoSmithKline, he would uh, recruit a man called Roy Anderson. And Roy Anderson is a professor of epidemiology, uh, but he's also the man who pioneered modern computer modeling. And the first time computer models were introduced to the public um, in a way that allowed for uh, the creation of uh, a fear-based propaganda, really, a fear-based propaganda tools. Look how many could die with these graphs of our futuristic and um, hypothetical uh, predictions. Uh, that was pioneered by Roy Anderson and Neil Ferguson during the time in the early uh, 2000, so 2000, 2001, um, when the foot and mouth disease crisis happened in the UK. 
This is... How did Neil Ferguson enter the picture? Neil Ferguson was already the apprentice of Roy Anderson. Uh -huh. So Roy Anderson brought up Neil Ferguson. He was his professor and his teacher. Um, Neil Ferguson went to, when he was trying to work out what he was going to do, he went to a presentation by a man called Sir Robert May. Sir Robert May is a close friend with Roy Anderson. They've co-authored uh, two books together. Um, and he's also the guy who I believe recruited Roy Anderson. I think he's a level above Roy Anderson in this kind of control structure uh, that emanates from the Wellcome Trust, which I've, I've been able to um, identify and, 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 and uh, detail to some degree, and it's ongoing because there's so much information. Um, Robert May, he, uh, he he used to be the president of the Royal Society. He's got many links. Of course, he, he, he was heavily involved with Wellcome Trust. He uh, introduced Neil Ferguson to the idea of computer modeling, going down that route. And at that presentation, he decided, that's my route. I'm going to go and be taught at the Lineker um, uh, School in Oxford, where Roy Anderson at the time was the Lineker professor. So the Lineker professor um, is a, a, a very uh, um, established role from 1860. Uh, it's a very, you know, um, important uh, place in Oxford as a teacher. And um, Neil Ferguson became Roy Anderson's uh, uh, apprentice, really. Um, Roy Anderson was his mentor and his professor, um, and they would be almost inseparable. Now, Roy Anderson had issues eventually at Oxford, as the Lineker professor um, there of zoology, that's the full title. Um, he would uh, make comments about Sinetra Gupta, who worked there at the time, who later went on to uh, be involved in the Great Barrington Declaration. And, um, and at the time was married to Adrian Hill, who went on to uh, uh, do the uh, front the Oxford AstraZeneca uh, vaccine. So, I mean, it's all very interesting. It's like it's like a little soap opera, you could say, going on there. Um, he said some, Roy Anderson said some bad things about Sinetra Gupta that weren't true. Um, he refused to take them back. Then he was forced to have to make this like half-hearted retraction. Um, it didn't go down well. The board, uh, the, the, the board at Oxford kicked him out. He took his whole team, which was all funded by the Wellcome Trust and included 70 researchers across to Imperial College London, that was in 2000. And this is very interesting and very important because they would, when they changed over to Imperial College, they take all of this funding and they spike Oxford publicly. Um, they would also start to research and put all of their team's focus into foot and mouth disease. And foot and mouth disease hadn't been an uh, issue in Britain, and ha there hadn't been an outbreak since, like for 30 years. It was the late 60s that the, the previous outbreak had been. So it made no sense. Uh, the only previous like, animal um, to human transmission they were looking at um, before that they were studying was BSE, and that doesn't really work in the same way in spreading. It's from infected meat rather than from spread from human to human. So they they suddenly, months and months and months before, uh, changed their, about uh, four or five months, I think, uh, changed their whole uh, focus onto foot and mouth disease. And then foot and mouth disease suddenly happened um, just before the elections uh, in the UK um, in 2001. Um, and when it started, of course, the narrative was, oh, look, uh, it's come from this one farm, uh, this guy who we're going to scapegoat for the whole thing. 
but it was discovered all over Britain. So it obviously been going for a while. Foot and mouth disease, cattle don't run around like humans, you know, they don't spread the disease like humans, but it, it is very, very spreadable. And um, what what I, there's, a, there's a lot to this because Tony Blair at the time, he was coming up to the elections and he had called his election uh, for May and foot and mouth disease had broken out and it was uh, obviously a bad PR uh, moment for an election. So he wanted to push it off. The advisors for foot and mouth were saying we need to do vaccination rings. Uh, the main, the, the official uh, advisors who were with him were saying we need to do vaccination rings around infected areas where you start vaccinating from say five miles out and then you work your way inwards or three miles out and you work your way inwards, um, culling any infected animals. Um, and that's usually the most effective way to uh, prevent the spread of foot and mouth disease. Um, and to control the virus and to get it to, 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 to eradicate it, really, because that is possible. Vaccines in this case, the foot and mouth disease vaccines, um, weren't. Uh, there had been many tests done on them. There had been many experiments. Um, they were relatively safe. There was no human issues about eating uh, the meat from from the vaccine. There seemed to be nothing, uh, pro no problem with it. it they, they could be uh, a little bit ineffective at times, but. Um, they, they, it was probably the best route. Instead, uh, Tony Blair was uh, pushed by this uh, graphic that got produced by Neil Ferguson and Roy Anderson. And they would also be on the advisory board, foot and mouth, by the government. They were suggested to be put on the advisory board, again, by one of Robert May, Sir Robert May's uh, friend, Sir John Krebs, also up there in the Royal Society, um, son of Hans Adolf Krebs, who was uh, um, ejected or ran away from Germany uh, during the persecution in 1933. Um, so he left, went to Britain, and then uh, became a famous, very famous scientist, doing very interesting things. His son obviously got rewarded over time. He's also quite... Um, He's a Sir John Krebs, and he's a member of the Royal Society too. Um, I'm, I'm going off a track here. Anyway, Blair uh, was uh, obviously uh, worried about the election. He put Roy Anderson and Neil Ferguson in charge of the entire response for foot and mouth disease. Um, against all of the, the uh, other advisors, they said, we need to do a mass cull on a scale never seen before. Um, and if we don't do this, these models will come to fruition. And this will be the worst thing that will ever happen to Britain. And no one will ever buy our meat again, et cetera, et cetera. And it was true, true fear porn all the time. At the same time, these men, Anderson especially, were put up to to um, uh, put down the foot and mouth disease vaccines as ineffective and not good to use because you should instead do culling, which is obviously completely the reverse to how the tap they took in COVID. Um, this whole period then turned into hell for farmers in Britain. I can't describe the scenes, like some of the stories that you read about during this time. It was just, it, it, and a lot of land got bought up afterwards because a lot of farms went bust. So, I mean, there was, it seemed to be uh, this rolling agenda of getting rid of uh, the menace to CO2 at the time, cattle, which were really <laughs> the main, seen as the main culprit of letting off sorts of gases and et cetera, methane. So they were, they were the targets. They also got the chop, along with sheep who weren't really affected by foot and mouth disease and, and pigs um, who were uh, 
it was burning pyres of millions of animals, eight million animals slaughtered um, and littered the countryside. I remember it very well. I wasn't, I, my 21st birthday, I wasn't able to go into the countryside because it was all blocked off and the police stopped us. So it was like, uh, it, was a, it was a point where they locked down society. So Roy Anderson, and to be clear, Roy Anderson and Neil Ferguson's tactics during Foot and Mouth was to take the harshest measures possible, lock down society, um, as much as possible as they could with uh, the, the fear that they could produce. Um, and what for? Well, the, the whole crisis was eventually uh, manipulated through computer, uh, through the statistics being uh, produced and given out in different ways than they originally had produced and given out the statistics, just like in COVID. So um, the MAFF, the MAF, the Ministry of Agriculture, Fisheries and Farms, had previously been putting out all the statistics about the, uh, the infected animals, the curls, the rate. But as it approached this election, uh, obviously there was problems. So Tony Blair put the election date back to um, June or July and Roy Anderson and Neil Ferguson changed the models to show that the virus, the, the foot and mouth disease would finish by the on, literally on the exact election date of Tony Blair. Um, at the same time, they all they did was speed up the curl and make it more intense. Um, and they kept that off the news completely, of course. Um, th this there, whole... Was there a basis? What? Was there really foot and mouth disease or was that an invention in itself? Now, that is really interesting because um, in uh, Per Bright Institute, which is one of the um, biological and chemical... Uh, um, I would say weapons, but research facilities um, in Britain that's owned by the government and ported down. But Perbright especially had, um, five, I think it was 500,000 samples of the seven different types of foot and mouth disease there. And uh, six years later, there would be an admitted leak from the lab when trees grew through the pipes in the lab and uh, foot, uh, foot and mouth got out again. That time they caught it really early. Now, the first time there was questions on whether it got out from the lab, but they, the, the destruction was so bad, I don't think they wanted to take any, uh, they wanted to admit it at all. Um, uh, there were articles that came out at the time questioning it. Um, of course, the fact that it's the center for foot and mouth disease uh, research and um, is, is extremely suspicious. And the lab leak later on, six years later, um, that was uh, reviewed and then covered up by another one of these welcome trust funded people uh, called Brian Spratt. Um, they're, they're all, this, this is all a very actual small group. For all of this, for the foot and mouth disease and for COVID, for there to be such a small group of people who are unaccountable, unelected, um, unattached to governments, shadowy, um, uh, have, are able to take control of every single person. It should be something that really, uh, really opens up people's eyes um, to the fact that there is uh, um, uh, obviously control structure going on. Now, purpose is something that is so impossible to uh, uh, verify. It's almost uh, unfalsifiable unless it was 
the best whistleblower ever and or the best leak of information ever. Um, I don't think we'll ever know of behavior of how they respond. And that's really what I, I'm, I'm focusing on because at first I wanted to understand about the lab leak in Wuhan. That's where what, what I um, uh, first looked into because I was very interested in this proximal origin of SARS-CoV-2 paper. Um, and the reason I started out on this was because Sorry. Uh, sorry, could I just ask a, a question, a quick question with regards to the foot and mouth uh, disease. So what do you think was the point of this? Because, I mean, was this just about like re-election or, or was, was there it more to it? Or like a, a training for like f yeah. upcoming, mm -hmm. um, you know, pandemics of whatever kind? I, I don't or, think it... What, did they sell a lot of vaccines I, then I, later I, on? I, well, I of? think that... I, and, I think that that um, uh, Tony Blair had no control or power over any of this, uh -huh. and he his input was minimal. He would just like brush it aside, and say, "Okay, they're going to deal with that." The the whole point of it, what it seems to be, is that constantly um, throughout uh, the next twenty years, these men would produce the same. Uh, devastating looking graphics uh, to try and manufacture consent for other uh, responses to um, virus outbreaks. So uh, then they managed to actually, it, that wasn't like the first time that they had warned about viruses that was the first time that they actually managed to say, look, there's evidence of a virus. And so that automatically means logically you should listen to us because we're the people who, who sort out viruses. Now, in the next 10 years, you would see them make predictions on bird flu that would be, say, 200 million would be dead when it was like around 574 eventually. Um, predictions on uh, all, all forms of SARS. Uh, they, they were... Um, uh, over the the over the past two decades, seemingly trying to spark an event, a fear-based event. But the problem for them is, unless the actual um, uh, hysteria starts around the virus and the virus actually manages to uh, look like a real threat, it's impossible for them to then uh, in road from there to COVID. That they were it was the same people trying to get this point where they can lock down society um, to do certain things. Now, with, with, with that period of time, you gotta remember this 2000-2001, and that was an extremely interesting time in history. And there was a lot to, uh, to distract attention from. And so if they wanted to do a dry run for something and they wanted to see what the whole, um, what, what their control structures were like, it, foot and mouth disease was the, one of the least um, uh, scary viruses for humans because humans weren't likely to be affected. So humans would say, oh, well, let, let patients would say, okay, okay, there's, there's, there's an epidemic all over the place. We, they're telling us we need to do this. We should just listen. That's very, that should be very different when it comes down to uh, human virus or human uh, bacterial infection or something. Well, there's two, I think there's um, two levels. But yeah, I, I think that this... Johnny, I was going to say there's oh. two levels on which this is playing out. The foot and mouth disease, uh, which uh, obviously helped uh, Tony Blair. His, uh, uh, well, 
I guess they, they, everybody must have thought that this is a very professional reaction from him, and it must have helped him win the election. But uh, there's two levels at which we mm -hmm. have to look at what these five people uh, were doing, these welcome trust people were doing. Uh, one is, was there really a leak? Uh, maybe there wasn't. Uh, but if there was, then this is even worse than I thought. But even without this being a leak, the idea of culling 8 million animals, I mean, that tells you something about these people because they, they know nothing about the disease. They are just working on computer models. I mean, maybe, maybe what's his name, Roy something, maybe he knows a little bit about such diseases because he's a zoologist, right? He's not a veterinarian. Yeah. But it tells me, if you look at these people, this is just one part of the picture. There's the Welcome Trust and the other really important um, uh, healthcare trust is, of course, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, both of which had uh, uh, played a huge role when they had another such rehearsal in Germany in May of 2019. Uh, they were there. Um, Drosten was there. Tedros was there. Um, and uh, and Wheeler, the German equivalent to the uh, to Fauci, was there. But if you look at the people, and that's what you're doing, you're looking at those people who are who those very few people who behind the scenes seem to be running the show. They, I mean, how can you kill eight million uh, uh, animals? I mean, I don't care if it's animals or people. This is terrible. Yeah, yeah, and I think it comes down to um, and all my research. Every time it unfortunately ends up in the same place when I, I look into these people, they tend to um, uh, pay great attention to things like uh, Malthusian um, ideology. Mm -hmm. So the idea uh, that the population is out of control um, uh, and the resources, well, we could all live a better life and a healthier life, and we'll all have so much more if there were less people on Earth. Um, because basically the resources and people are always kind of like in flux uh, is what, what Thomas Malthus once said. Um, that's the basic ideology of it. Uh, and they, they uh, I don't think, I think they, they are a part of um, what is really like a, a modern, has a modern humanist uh, tint to it uh, or, or agenda to it, uh, where it's the idea that we need to get rid of a large amount of the human population. Um, I, I, that is the only thing that keeps coming back to. And that's why, for me, when I was researching this, you know, I didn't start off in researching the foot and mouth disease. I'm, I'm telling you this like um, a, a, a chronological, uh, sort of trying to keep it chronological. Um, but when I first started looking into this article, it was really just about the effect of uh, how um, uh, the cover-up had, uh, had, had, you know, taken off all of, uh, taken away all of the responsibility of the main actors who uh, have then responded to enact this control structure nowadays. I didn't expect to find this point of, oh, they were also the people who had the burning pyres of dead bodies all around my country because I'm not a very nationalist person but that was a horrible moment in in history uh, there, there's one little story that kind of shows because what, what people don't understand as well is that when these um when these things get enacted they become uh, standard operating procedures they become put into writing and people just act regardless of emotion for, on their job 
They, they, they have a job to do and they will do it nearly all of the time. Um, when enough pressure is applied, 90% of the time, they will just, you, you, you know, the, you know about the Milgram experiments, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, that's in a, a setting where it's like it, there's not so much pressure involved. As soon as you apply pressure, it, it goes from being a 60% of people will comply um, and just continue to electric uh, electrocute someone to 90 percent of people will continue to do that you know people given enough pressure in society given enough fear will do a lot of um uh terrible things and i i do believe that a lot of these uh people have um have a feeling that they're above everybody else i i'm i mean you can't you I can't understand them a lot of the time. I can't understand why they do what they do. Um, all I have, all I try and do is like document the evidence. At the end of any article, I try, I, I try and give a tiny little bit of opinion. Um, and when I wrote my first draft of this, man, I was so angry. I was so angry because I, 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 I mean, th- these people after foot and mouth disease disaster and that got covered up by there being an inquest put in um the inquest instead of being just about foot and mouth disease which would have then put anderson and ferguson central stage got split up into three different sections and they fell right between the gaps so there's three different inquests set up on three different parts and it allowed them to to uh get away with any responsibility in actual fact in 2000 uh ferguson was given an obe um uh, and and uh, which is um, Order of the British Empire. It is uh, one of the honours given in New Year's uh, by the Queen. So these guys weren't um, weren't punished or weren't rejected, even though all of the people like um, Dr. Kitching, uh, who was one of the advisors at the time, and had to resign over it because um, he was disgusted by how much um, a small group, how a small group of unelected people who who uh, didn't seem to understand the virus, suddenly got in control and changed the entirety of society based on false science and false data, because that's what it was. And that made me so angry. So when I wrote the first draft of this article, um, I was so, 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 I, 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 I was, I was almost uh, like Robespierre. <laughs> I was, I was, I was there with a pitchfork ready to, to mark, but it's more important than that because uh, I mean the, the 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 thing is with my work it can be very uh, emotional at times because you get connected to you're you're, you're going through events that affect everybody around you so you get connected to the actual um, things uh, the actual story or the actual article the information involved um, but this one when I actually when when I I looked further every time I looked a little bit further when I started looking at my orange and I looked at the people who were involved and then realized, you know, well, a lot of these guys are really heavily welcome, trust funded. And then I find this Holmes uh, character and, and Rambo character and Anderson and uh, uh, Sykes. And eventually you can easily see who the people who are the main actors are because they're nearly always connected in these situations that are high up. What I, I see are um, little units that are there, put there to do the job and get, delegate the tasks. And they're usually a very small unit, they have to be. 
and they usually have to be well connected, not only to the um, establishment in general and the government in some way or the uh, the establishment that's maybe more behind the scenes and shadowy, but they also have to be connected to each other. They have to be like, for this to work, for these control structures to work, you have to find, often you will find, and I think you'll find this in separate countries where I'm looking, uh, I'm trying to identify the, the what what's happening in Britain, um, but it has massive global connotations, the actual uh, actions of these small group of British men. I think that's interesting as well. Um, one thing that I, I, I should know, I, I do believe this Welcome Trust um, gang, it's not just a UK uh, uh, control structure for these events. Uh, it's not something that is just pulled out here. It's also being used by the Americans. And that's why they were given the job of covering up the lab leak in Wuhan and uh, uh, the, uh, where, where um, COVID actually originated from, because, or, or where COVID actually originated from, because I mean, I'm still open to, to, to any information that comes in that, that proves where and what actually happened. But the people who covered up this paper um they're all very close friends and they have to be they have to be to get be, to, to trust people to trust each other you cannot trust people who are not your close friends and you will see this repeated over and over again these small group of close friends who are really really and colleagues who are really really um uh heavily responsible and delegating um to a a wider group underneath them and then so on and so forth down the lines until it trickles down into society how did this start you you explained about the merger and how this merger um became GlaxoSmithKline. on the other hand welcome which was one of the most powerful sources one of the most powerful ph pharmaceutical um uh producers i guess you could call them before the merger it disappeared more or less it turned into the welcome trust which then became uh next to uh the bill and melinda gates foundation one of the most one of the two most powerful healthcare funds in the world so who is responsible yeah that's what i thought that i was just going to ask that who is responsible for this decision for the decision to create the welcome trust and give it the and include the uh what did you call them the welcome trust gang because they're not they i don't think they invented this it must have been someone else who told them to do what they're supposed to do i also yep. doubt but this is a different story that that, that 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 we're really talking about friendship i mean what kind of friendship must that be yeah 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 well I, of course of course i mean we, I, i'm pretty positive that um uh, a dinner party around these guys houses wouldn't be the most fun occasion around and uh and it would be uh them talking about things that are probably unrelated to the control and power that they're that you know they wouldn't be sitting around cackling <laughs> we're all we're all doing so well i i i in all this there is one major link that obviously i come to in the conclusion but it, it's not the only it's a really it's a complicated infrastructure it's a complicated environment firstly all of these people are heavily connected or fellows of the royal society and the royal society is a very small group 
um, set up many years ago, um, had very historic members such as Albert Einstein and Isaac Newton. Um, and it is uh, a place where all of the sirs and lords of the science world uh, go to um, uh, connect with each other. And they're often given the responsibility by the House of Lords to write reviews and papers on things that could cause controversy. Um, they're also uh, heavily involved with connecting. It's like um, a bit of a, 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 a you know um, a social networking group in a sense for that more illustrious scientists of society. Some of the international members include Elon Musk um, and people who are really big on the stage. And I'm not suggesting that this Royal Society is some sort of um, massive round table group or, uh, or something along those lines. I do think that it contains um, a lot of committees and groups inside it who uh, are delegated certain tasks by the government that the government themselves cannot handle. So with foot and mouth disease, it was coming up to election. The government don't want to be heading up this. They go to Kreb uh, and uh, May and they say, you need to build a team to help us out with this. Go on. Sorry. Uh, so is this how do you get how do you get um, uh, admitted to this royal society? Do you get elected or like someone has you, to suggest you? You get you you do good things for them and then they give you a place. <laughs> I mean that's uh -huh. really what it that's is. That's how it works. So, that explains so, well, everything. I, that explains everything. It, yeah. It, uh, what what what's interesting? Like um, Roy Anderson, he. Um, joins he's later on Roy Anderson works for the British Ministry of Defense in like the <laughs> noughties and then goes and um is on the panel for um oh some science panel for Bill and Melinda Gates one of the major ones um uh, and and a lot of those organizations I mean he has got uh if you look at the list of uh titles and honors and awards and etc that he's got it's just insane that no one human can I think he's the the um, governor of the Institute of Government. I mean, the, the, the <laughs> titles like that are just, just they don't, they just sound uh, Orwellian yeah. in, the, in their way. Um, to be admitted into this society, you have to have someone who who's vouching for you. But I think you also, um, and you have to be a, a, a selected in some way, but I think you have to be a down with the cause down with the cause and the agenda is listen we are the royal society and the royal society's in charge and we're, we're really in charge you know we we, we we're, we're the ones who they feel like that they're not they're not but they're one of the many groups who have a certain amount of control and power and believe that they have enough sway and love to influence things because a lot of these guys are retired. Um, they're not really doing their, their, their ex, uh, big scientists, et cetera, who used to have really busy lives. Now they have, all have executive positions that they don't even have to attend to. Um, uh, so so I, I think a lot of it is like uh, old men having activities after they stop being part of the establishment. Mm -hmm. And so, um, it, but it, what the Royal Society is, it's a very useful tool for government. Um, uh, for the UK government to go to to say, okay, we need a job done. So in my opinion with the Proximal Origin paper and what all the evidence I think points to is that um, the Americans uh, had uh, done some form of uh, research in Wuhan that went 
uh, went wrong um, and they needed people to come in and say, okay, this didn't come from a lab and they didn't want to get Americans to do that. Because if you get Americans to do that, then you're just like, oh, look, you've got your agency to do it. Instead, they decided, let's go to the people who will have the most trust. Um, and this is a lot about what these people, and I can talk about this a little bit uh, later if you want, but um, the, the creation of this idea of trust. So in America, they're very, they, 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 they're very stereotypical with the way they view royal British people. They're like, oh, they're, they're all so charming, you know, that, that sort of, like, they, 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 they're, they're dazzled by them. And I think they have that simplistic view that, oh, if we get the royal society and their guys, or we get the British, they'll get the royal society to sort it out in some way, shape or form, through committee groups and through their little shadowy sort of meetings and appointing the right person to this and appointing the right person to that. All of them who have connections and influence, uh, all of them who, who wander the same corridors. Um, I, I think that that's the easiest way for the Americans to say, okay, that's nothing to do with us. See, we didn't cover that up. Well, we, we didn't do it, so we're not responsible for it. Cycle. Um, <laughs> I was just wondering, do you think this is also the source of this, the narrative of the, do you know, this, uh, the, the social engineering part of it, like coming up with these terms of like social distancing and, um, you know, flattening the curve and, okay. you know, because someone must have written the script and uh, we and have been thinking. This is where I was going to get to when I was just saying this is very important with the idea of trust, because I'm. I wrote uh, another article uh, called Edelman PR and the Manufacturing of Trust yeah. on Unlimited Hangout. Um, and basically, Edelman PR cover, um, represent around 70% of all world's business, all world's governments, including parties on both sides. Um, many of the, the private uh, uh, people who are high up, uh, they represent nearly 70% of them. Um, when where they, they they have um, every year they have a trust barometer where they talk to the the uh, World Economic Forum members about um, what the people trust and what they don't trust and they do be doing that for 20 years. Uh, Edelman PR was originally set up um, by a guy called. Um, Uh, uh, Daniel J. Edelman, I think his name is Daniel uh, J. Edelman, um, and he was uh, American psyops during um, World War II, so psychological operations uh, against the Germans. He eventually went on to set up a PR firm that basically represented people like Colonel Sanders of KFC brand and another famous uh, people. Um, they built the biggest uh, PR firm in the world. His son, Richard Edelman, would take over. And Richard Edelman would join um, uh, as the right hand of Klaus Schwab as the world, at the World Economic Forum. Um, and basically, the majority of the lines you're hearing um, out there from the Great Reset, Build Back Better, Flatten the Curve, all of that comes from Edelman. Every single thing. There's, you can trace every single thing back to Edelman PR and its representatives. And Edelman PR, go on. Sorry, I didn't want to. No, just you finish it. I, I was going to just say that um, Edelman PR, I mean, the first time I ever heard their name was when um, there was a Jeremy Corbyn coup, a political coup uh, in the UK, where they were trying to kick him out as being leader of the Labour Party, because obviously he doesn't fit in with the, the globalist lines and the, 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 the normal agenda that they want. Um, so they needed to push him out. And all of the people who were the front of the coup, Chukka Amuna and uh, uh, people like that, um, uh, well, 
half of them got jobs with AWMPR afterwards. But they do the job and they get the job with AWMPR and that means they're set for life. They're done. Yeah, they, they can they, they can be sent round to do anything. The AWMPR is so big, um, so completely and utterly powerful. And one interesting thing, which I think is really important to this, is that in 2016, around 2016, I think it was, that uh, Edelman's trust barometer um, focused in on one thing. It was about 2015. It was just before Trump. They said at that time that 80% of the populations of the world um, now don't trust media. The mainstream media and that they call them fake news and they said we need to redefine what fake news is we need to stop the media from being seen as fake news as currently is and we need to battle our best to use we reallocate that term to use against the people who we want to uh, who, who want to create this different world that we're not in control of you know the different media or independent media and then from that point on You've seen the turn of fake news from what was originally a term used about the mainstream media and their manipulation of narratives and their constant lying and their constant uh, uh, um, uh, corruption, really, um, uh, and bias. Uh, all of these the, 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 these people were just simply re they they get called something and then they rebrand it so that you're that. You know, it's like, it's it's petty. It's like in schools. It's astroturfing. I think that's what it's called. It's astroturfing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, incredible. Yeah. But I don't think they're going to get away with it because uh, quite obviously more and more people, even and in particular those who got the shots and then realized, oops, we may have made a mistake. Even those people are not looking for real information at their places. They're not looking at the mainstream media anymore because they understand mm -hmm. that that is why they fell victim to what happened to them. Well, this is very interesting as well because what happened after that whole push for the trust to, to reframe fake news is that the trust in the mainstream media went back to about 60%. The reason why they were so worried about it being 80% um, of people mistrust the mainstream media was because that was the first time the mainstream media had become the most distrusted out of the, they have like four four categories and it, it, mainstream media was the first time it had become the most distrusted. They managed to get that down to 60% mistrust by the time they were doing the, the they were starting this agenda. Now it's back down to 80% mistrust. So they, they had, they, had they, they know that they're dying. They know they're yes, dying. Yes. They're a dying breed. Um, they do not do their job at all, um, and and it, it it's good. It's good in some respect for people like me who, who are then able to just have loads of stories. We've got all the stories we can tell. We got the evidence over here, evidence over here. No one's covering the most important things um, of the current generation. I mean, it may be very good for for people like me at the moment, even though we're censored all the time. Um, but but there is um, uh, an uh, well, you know, there's an agenda. <laughs> of course. Yeah. How were you able to trace all these uh, Orwellian terms to Edelman? Um, oh, well, Edelman's um, ex was extremely interesting because he's so, um, uh, he, 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 uh, 
they're so open about what they talk about. So when they rebrand, when they use these terms, they will tell you they're using these terms. We just don't watch their presentations. If you go over to the World Economic Forum, the uh, Trust Barometer does every year, or if you look for their videos, the Trust Barometer is every year, and it goes on for, I think, a couple of days, and they have loads of uh, presentations about all of these different things. And all of these thing, uh, terms, like Build Back Better, et cetera, they come through this machine this world economic forum machine that comes out once Adelman has said okay we've done the testing we've tested on all of these different people um when it comes down to things when, when i hear things like flatten the curve it's really easy for them to find something like that because already there's loads of terms being used and they're behind the scenes doing just like, um, I can't remember what you call it, sampling uh, people's uh, response to these terms. Um, and they've got a massive operation. I, I mean, it's enormous. Their, their ability to understand what works with people is the reason why we're in this state at the moment. So uh, a lot of a lot of what a lot of um, what we hear now, you, you will be able to hear Edelman PR say first on one of their trust barometer presentations or one of their many articles, Richard Edelman prints articles all the time. The thing is about these guys is they're very open about their agenda. And then when you tell people um, who don't know anything about their agenda, people say, oh, that's a conspiracy. And you, you say, well, look what they say. And they say, oh, 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 really? Uh, you know, it's it's a complete surprise to a lot of people that it's just so blatantly obvious and yeah. they're saying it to our face. Yeah. But Edelman is not doing this by just by themselves or for their own fun. I mean, they someone must be there. You know, someone must pay them. Well, they're the top of the PR chain. They're the top dogs in the PR chain. Their payment is keeping that market share, keeping that market share, not being attacked by other. Because what what they currently their situation is um, fundamentally negative for governments all around the world, uh, for people, for companies anyway, because they represent both sides and they're just twisting words and manipulating things. Um, as soon as they're held to account on that, the, the obvious question would be, well, why are you so big and why are you allowed to be so big and a, such a big monopoly and et cetera? But that's why they've been uh, supported so much. That's why people go to them, um, because they, they are the the future of propaganda, world propaganda. Uh, um, the um, the, they are being set up to be, and they have already been set up to be the messages of the message that they want to send to people. So it's the Ministry of, of Truth, basically. Yes, yes, yeah, completely. I mean, truth. it is the Ministry uh, completely. Um, set up in 2000, the Edelman Trust Barometer, and every year you, you watch, um, each of the, the years you watch, extremely interesting things they say that really um they're, they're almost meta because you, they're, they're saying stuff where you're saying where someone like me is like well i'm trying to tell people you're saying that and they're not even listening to me so i mean it's really it's it's beyond uh understanding how much control and power they have but don't they have haven't they run into a real problem now i mean it it in my view at least of course, they all have a plan B and C and D and whatever, but uh, their um, corona narrative is definitely crumbling. It is falling apart. I think they've lost control over it. And the most, the worst of this is that uh, some two things. So many people are waking up to this. So many people seem to be understanding because of corona 
because they just went way too far. They're so blatantly lying that even some of the most, um, well, naive people are beginning to realize something is not right. So that is problem number one. Problem number two is that they're following the people who they're, they've been addressing and who've been believing in all that crap that they've been telling. Uh, they're killing them. I mean, mm -hmm. the, 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 uh, precisely the people who have invented this, um, this pandemic are killing their own followers. So what we're going to end up with is 20%, 30% of the population, more in the United States, more in other parts of the world, but here in Europe, between 20 and 30%, who will not go along with this and who will not even listen to them anymore because they have come on to them. And the other oh. 70 or 80% or whatever, they're going to be dead or at least gravely injured. Every single, every single authoritarian, totalitarian regime, every single effort to try and control the world's population will come undone eventually. These guys are full of what you could say hubris. They're, they're full of um, false self-confidence. They believe that they are, have the power because they've been told they have the power. Um, a lot of the, uh, the same way that the people who uh, believe that the vaccine is good for them um, have been told the vaccine is good for them. That's all they're basing their, their, their ideas on. They really do believe that they're untouchable. And every time in history that we see these people uh, to get to this stage of control, negative control, um, and push down on the population, we see it end. And people don't, when we're caught up in it, no one realizes it's going to end. It can't keep going like this. These guys are not the future. These guys who want to uh, change our biology, who want to take us to the future in space, these guys would create a, a future and a world which would be uh, worse than what we're seeing now. And we all know it. We all know it. Even the public knows it. And they, they, at the moment, we're seeing a breakdown of democracy, partially because it's been attacked um, from all angles, from people such as the World Economic Forum with the idea of stakeholders the capitalism being a better alternative to to democracy where where but in reality democracy is 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 almost gone it's almost gone it's such a a, a puppeteered system it's it's a racket it's um a load of what we would say an old boys network you know it's a load of old friends who are all just trying to I, I can't say any better than rape the world and rape the finances and rape everything they possibly can and abuse everything they possibly can because they're quite unhappy people and they aren't able to ever concentrate on themselves and their own development because they're too busy being these, these people who are so malevolent and having all these issues and troubles all over the place. These guys always burn out and we've got to have faith and we've got to have confidence that this is no different and everybody when they go through something at the time feels like it's different and everything else in the past. But I, I, I've been following um, this agenda of control and, and um, we, with the use of virus and bacteriological infections. I've now gone back 130 years to where I can really see the beginning of um, the, these countries realizing, not only realizing, but enacting um, chemical and biological weapons programs and developing them for the idea to kill as many people as possible. And that's never changed. That's not changed. And that's another thing people don't realize now. People are too busy right now going, but we've had that before. We learned from it. So we won't happen again. And at the same time, we can watch people be murdered all around us. 
all around us. And it just makes no sense. And it's absurd to people who are logical. It's absurd to, to, to people like us who have some sort of ethic and moral um, understanding of what it is to be human. But to these other people, I, I, I'm, I, I think... I, I don't want to be someone who others somebody because uh, that's what they do. That's how they separate us. You know, they make us someone else. They other us all of the time. But I do see them as other. I can't help to see them as other. And what's really interesting is if the worst of these guys, if the worst of these guys actually got what they want and got rid of, say, 90% of the world's population, do you know who would be left? Them and the people who are their adversaries adversaries sorry yeah, yeah. It, it the the middle people the people they see them as cattle and their actions would see them disposed of as cattle eventually that's the most malevolent of them. I'm not saying that's the general uh, people who are on the wards or, or enacting these policies even, because a lot of them are doing it out of what they think is goodness and what they've been told is goodness. Um, but if these people really got what they wanted, they'd be 10% of the people living on Earth than there is now. Um, uh, and it would, be, um, it would be us versus them all the way and they would have all the power. That's the point. So we are the adversaries we will yeah. be the ones left because everyone else has fallen victim to them yeah it's amazing that that it works out like that as well you'd think that if they yeah. fought it through a little bit better that they wouldn't end up with like an exact amount of people who hate them on at the end of it you know they we, you'd think that we'd be the first they target but i think i think they've realized that they, they've they've just got a keep bashing away at the populations yeah they got to keep if they keep doing that and they they're going to reach their agenda eventually but that's um i mean that's an idea that that a lot of people just would never let happen and and would fight against in many ways i think we're seeing it and i think their agenda is falling apart um it's really it almost pleasant to watch but um it's really sad because it's yeah, affected it so many people in such a um yeah. uh it's, it's such a wide array of of, of parts of their lives. You they're, know. they're fighting they're fighting illusionary battles which they can't win, and that's why they can't win the war. Because ultimately, <laughs> as you're saying, we're going to be the ones left, yeah, and they yeah. can't deal with us. And can yeah. I ask you, from like following following their work, can you already see which agenda they're kind of they're going to hype next? Ah. Climate crisis. Uh, we, well, we, we we have concrete evidence, by the way. Uh, mm -hmm. Just to jump in there, uh, from the Middle East, very fresh evidence that they're closing wells there um, because, and this is another panic uh, uh, motive, I suppose, because little children fall into these wells. There's no evidence that that's really happening, yeah, but yeah, they're yeah. using this in order to close the wells so that ultimately the people will be dependent on someone else selling them bottled water instead yeah. of having their own water. And no, no. they're promoting artificial meat. And we know who produces that. Bill Gates yeah, is one well, of the producers. So that may be the next craze. Because this you, is, of course, this is killing our environment. There's too many people breathing. 
<laughs> yes, yeah. And I, I had this conversation an hour ago or an hour and a half ago with someone in the park. I was walking my doggy around there and um, and she was telling me it doesn't matter. This all, all COVID stuff doesn't matter because we're, we're going into global warming. And, and <laughs> I, I had to tell her, well, now, now they've changed the line about global warming. They call it climate change now because it's not actually warming. It's like they're talking about maybe a global dimming even. And, and you know, people, people react to... That person has had that belief for 10 years, mm -hmm. 20 years. It's really hard to tell them something different. It's really hard to, to show them any evidence and for them to really like accept it because they have built a lot of their ideas about wider society on the basis that pop, there's too much many humans and we're all doing bad things all the time. In that on that point, and that's really important as well, if you go back to 1973 and the third of the World Economic Forum uh, meetings, um, this is something uh, that I, I, I talk about in Schwab Family Values. Um, th they talk about this agenda openly. Uh, the Club of Rome uh, representative who does a speech during that time uh, at the World Economic Forum talks about um, uh, Malthus talks about the idea of population control and talks about using climate change, that that's the future, using the idea of climate change to control the world's population and eventually get rid of a load of people and population control. And that is a recorded speech. It's there, it's documented in history, really worth reading because it, it really, I think, showed um, very early on their true nature um the true nature of the society which was to start using it so i think it's going to be one of the tools in the toolkit i mean i, I we're seeing things like uh ukraine and yeah. russia um again putin's uh was a world economic forum young global leader and probably the ukrainian prime minister was probably a world economic global you know it's become a point where you, you it'll just be it's just um it's just buffer for the mainstream media to pump fear into the environment. And I'm not sure if anything really is going to happen that bad. But yeah, climate change and, and this sort of thing. I, I, I do feel that uh, the major next step, that, uh, what we see coming, um, is going to be this whole um, cyber hacking attack uh, on the um, infrastructure of society, on um, uh, the... Uh, uh, what's it called, um, on transportation, on transporting of goods. Um, it, it, they basically, they've, they've, they've laid down the ground for there being a cyber pandemic. And this has been the thing that they've been slowly growing over during the COVID time. While everybody else is talking about coronavirus, the World Economic Forum moved on nearly straight away and started talking about the cyber pandemic to come. Now, they've, they've got very interesting cyber polygons, something I've written about. That's the World Economic Forum, along with uh, Russia um, and many other uh, actors, including Americans, who all come together for the cyber defense uh, simulation. Um, at the same time, they're all meant to be enemies. I, I mean, the whole thing is a, a, a real, it's, it's a weak puppet show if you see enough of it. Yeah. If, you watch, if you watch the show over and over again, you see all the strings, yeah. but, but most people don't get to watch the show over and over again. Well, this time I think many more people are watching than they ever expected. And they're not looking in that direction anymore where the pandemic is. They're looking in all kinds of directions because yeah. they want to find out what is really going on. 
Well, I've, uh, go, sorry, go Johnny, I don't, I don't mean to be rude, but uh, we have another guest uh, who we need to talk to. Uh, but we will definitely have to talk to you again because I want to know about the family values of the Schwab family. I would love to speak about it. And thank you for having me on and let me give my evidence. I, I, I feel it as a relief. And thank you for all your work. Thank you very much. This was very enlightening again. Okay, Whoa. Good, good. I'm happy to speak at any time. Happy to and, speak and say hi to Whitney when you talk to her. I will do. I will okay. do. I'll tell her. Okay. Thank, Thank you, you very much. So much. Yep. Um, and now it is Dr. Sonia Pekova. She's a Czech clinical biochemist, biochemist and molecular geneticist. And she's also a member of the New Parallel Medical Association. Very interesting, a New Parallel Medical Association. Uh, Dr. Pekova, is, is it, uh, I, I think it's probably, is, am I pronouncing your name correctly? Yeah, excellently, yeah. <laughs> My name is Sonia Pekova, but I'm not a biochemist. I am molecular biologist and molecular microbiologist. So this is my, my specialty. Do I studied human medicine, but then I went straight forward into the laboratory. And uh, since then, it has been for 20 years I'm in the lab. Uh-huh. So what's going on in, uh, in the Czech Republic? Are you really uh, about or have you already created a new parallel medical association? Um, so first, uh, first of all, thank you very much for uh, the opportunity to be with you because I really appreciate all your work you had done, you and your team. That's really invaluable. We couldn't do it without you. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, as far as the parallel medical chamber goes, uh, it started in autumn 2021 and it was uh, established as an opinion platform. So I have a couple of notes and I also have a presentation, PowerPoint presentation, because I'd like to show you some data, some laboratory data. I would love you to see and think about that. So if, maybe we could start with the presentation. So is that a possibility? Sure. So I'll share screen. It's here. So can I, can I see it? Yes. Do you see it? Mm -hmm. Okay, so the parallel medical chamber started in autumn 2021. And the reason was uh, that we needed an opinion platform. So it's an opinion platform of regular members of the Czech medical chamber. And it was built for intelligent communication among doctors because at that time there was any, really any, uh, there, there was none. Uh, it was it is for medical practitioners and the government and for a productive dialogue and for finding effective solutions and treatment strategies, strategies while preserving good moral, good doctor-patient relationships and all the fundaments of evidence-based medicine because we missed all these really thoroughly, really, really deeply. So all the members of the paramedical chamber are actively practicing clinical doctors in real contact with the patients so they saw the situation and they could feel the situation. The aim of the PMC, it's abbreviation for the paramedical chamber, is to balance bias and often incorrect 
information may be called misinformation from the Ministry of Health and the Czech Medical Chamber. And the Czech Med Medical Chamber is the official body and the Paralymedical Chamber is a like sub body. We are still members of the Czech Medical, Medical Chamber because it's compulsory, but we started this new platform because the Czech Medical Chamber totally failed. Uh, the PMC offers first-line medical advice and help for general practitioners and patients, and really we are substituting the, the role of uh, the Czech Medical Chambers. We provide uh, our doctors and patients and all interested individuals with uncensored medical information from foreign sources, and the information is regularly updated and everything is made available to the public. We organize lectures, meetings, conferences for medical society media and interested individuals on controversial topics regarding COVID-19 and also on better health system management because it's so mismanaged right now. We also provide people with updated information on anti-COVID-19 so-called vaccine and on the safety of this uh, experimental solution. And unfortunately, we need to use mostly foreign databases and foreign security sources, because although we have a beautiful database in our country, uh, which has been running for years, for decades, now everything is censored. You are not able to get any information from, from, from our own national register and even senators uh, ask for some information and uh, the, the question was rejected, which is unseen, unheard. Uh, Czech Medical Chamber and the government and mainstream propagandistic media, uh, so they try their best to censor, ridicule, deplatform, ostracize, dehonest, and even criminalize the members and activities of the Paralymedical Chamber, but to no avail. And I'd say that since we started, and I personally started in March 2020, and I do not know if you had a chance to look eastward, but I was that one who shouted aloud that uh, the virus looks like artificial and not naturally occurring. And it was in March 2020. And uh, I have a few, you know, a few um, slides here with me to show you why I was so convinced and still I'm convinced that it uh, it was not of natural origin. Everything was, of course, suppressed. Uh, the truth obfuscated. To, totally, but I think that the future will show us. And uh, not uh, to forget, I think the paramedical chamber is extremely important because despite all the suppression we experience from our government and Czech medical chamber and so-called so-called um, experts in our uh, propagandistic state media, still I think we were able to deliver important information to many clinical doctors, to many ordinary individuals, ordinary Joes, uh, uh, Joes the public, and we save, saved quite uh, a few of lives, I'd, I'd like to say, because we started, so our idea is and was to um, educate people, and once the people are educated, then whatever information or misinformation comes from the government, just they are able to uh, regard it in terms of the new knowledge and their previous knowledge. So we decided to like damage uh, COVID-19 false construct of our government just by this, this 
this uh, assembling, dissipating uh, uh, the form, the structure, and it's done uh, by educating people. And the, in molecular biology, we use a term like bottom-up approach. So these are bottom-up approach that we educate people, educate the first line, contact uh, doctors and uh, all these individuals. And of course, um, doctors in faculty hospitals and stuff, but we disintegrate the whole structure of lies, uh, which was created by our government. And it just duplicates, each state duplicates the same, like a copy paste in each country the same. Sometimes it's stricter, sometimes less strict, uh, but it's just the same, exactly as Johnny said, the same narrative produced by someone and the government uh, replicated. So you decided to destroy the construction just by educating people. And if you educate people, then they lose uh, the target because once the people know what's going on and understand the lies, they'll not go for any further booster shot and uh, they'll they'll try ignoring all these social distancing and uh, mandatory facial masks and stuff so we decided to like damage the damage uh, the, the structure from the bottom up so this is what we do with the, the parallel medical chamber in brief very good very good everyone should do this all of the, there should be more parallel chambers. And I think we're going to hear more about this as far as the judicial front is concerned uh, from our guest, um, Anna Garner from New Mexico. I was surprised to hear that this is really happening already and that people are not just talking about it. I'm impressed. Very good. So it requires kind of like bribe, bribe, insolence, or I don't know. But once, once, for example, I personally, once I understood what's going on, so for me it was like an order. You need to educate people because this is not normal, and all the government government are is trying to convey is uh, just lie. And if I might, I'd continue with my presentation with some because I'm the I'm the laboratory I'm the laboratory mouse, and this is my this is my world. And uh, a few weeks ago or days ago, I don't remember exactly. We had a conference, and it was international conference Czech and Slovak because we speak basically the same language so it was easy and uh, it was this kind of underground conference because it was outside of the mainstream media and we uh, tried to deliver the complex knowledge uh, from the laboratory point of view like scientists then general practitioners then uh, uh, people in uh, lawyers lawyers and all these people just acting uh, acting against the government governance and all these restrictions and stuff what's here so it was really it, it was really useful and I think also the English version uh, is available uh, so I'd like to show you some of the data I presented there mm -hmm. and uh, for your consideration and I really I'm really happy that uh, I might do that here on this platform. So I would start with this picture. So it's it's from January 2022, and definitely you have seen it. So all these dots. Can you see my mouse? No, unfortunately no? not. We still see the first slide. Oh really? Mm -hmm. uh, so what shall I do? I think what you do is double click on the slide that you want to show us. So I did. 
I sent the presentation to Corvin. Yes, so maybe he could launch it from your side. Um, I'll ask him. Hang on. Um, Corvin, do we have some advice here for Dr. Pekova? Because I normally see the second slide, so I do not know what's wrong. Even if I double click, it only goes forward, but... Uh, and maybe if you just, um, you know, reload the uh, share screen, or if you close it and then, you know, okay, so do try. this again, okay, who knows? I'll do that. Uh -huh. Sometimes it gets stuck. So if we don't manage it, so I'll need to explain in the ly lyrical and epical terms <laughs> what we have found in the lab. So how it is? Is no, it better? No, no, we only see your, uh, you know, your like your file uh, list, a list of files. Yeah. Uh, never mind. So uh, maybe uh, just let me speak, and if anything sure. is not understandable, just stop me and ask. Okay. Yeah. So the first the first uh, slide shows the map of from from uh, GS8. So this is the database of all uh, sequence genomes of SARS-CoV-2, and you can see the map how it started and how it spread, and all these branches with different substrates, sub and so on. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, my, basically, my work is. Oh, now it got so. Excuse me, just once more because it got stuck somewhere. Mm -hmm. uh, my work is I'm molecular microbiologist and molecular biologist and geneticist, and uh, um, my job since 2006 is to produce and design essays for molecular microbiology, meaning for PCR tests. And uh, since 2006, we started with human uh, field and we really pioneered it in this country. And then in two, 2014, we added also veterinary field. And uh, um, we have, I think, the largest portfolio of like hundreds of different tests for different pathogens using PCR techniques, all of the absolute majority of, of them are uh, 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 like mine design. So this is what I do. And uh, in the veterinary and also in the in the medical field, we never we had ne never seen. Oh, it got stuck. Oh, I'm sorry. So maybe take your time. Uh, don't worry about this. I don't know what to do now. Okay, um, I'm just I uh, I just uh, uh, got a uh, got a piece of advice. Uh, we will do it ourselves. So we will show the entire presentation from here. Lovely. I think this is possible. Uh, yeah, that's and, excellent. And then that's it will be, that's it'll excellent. Be easier. So and here you go. I don't know if you can see the picture, 
but that is probably the second slide that you were going uh -huh, to show. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. uh, okay, so this is a title of, of the talk I had at the conference of the Czech Slovak conference okay. on uh, COVID-19. And uh, as I said, uh, uh, the participants were from uh, the science, from uh, medical doctors, practitioners, uh, mm -hmm. uh, lawyers, and so on. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and uh, I, I'd like to show you something from our lab. So the second, if, if I may ask for the second one. Okay, so this is the map. Uh, probably you have seen it many times, and it shows the many different strains of SARS-CoV-2, and it's, mm -hmm. it's a snapshot pro snapshot from GISAID, uh, which is a database uh, that um, it's like international database. And if you when you sequence SARS-CoV-2, you just uploaded the sequence there, and they produce all these all these branches how it develops and so on. And you also can see the countries and. The, uh, pie charts and it looks like firecrackers on New Year's Eve and as I said so my field is veterinary and, and human molecular microbiology and I'm the, the developer the designer of tests for uh, real-time PCR for hundreds of different pathogens and to see something like this that we have an agent which is so variable and cha changes so much under under our own hands and in front of our eyes, we never seen it before. So it doesn't have any precedence. So this was the first clue that something something we weird is going on. Uh, next next slide, please. So uh, in March 2020. Uh, when uh, the red dot from Wuhan started spreading around the world. So it was just an, a task for our lab to uh, look at that and pre create uh, an PCR assay for, for the virus because our uh, expertise is veterinary and human molecular microbiology. So I uh, used the genome, which was just uploaded recently at that time, a genome of, of SARS-CoV-2 and studied the genome. And, at the, and, and I was looking for the, for the best portion of the virus to be, to be used as a target for specific and sensitive real-time PCR. Uh, at the same time, uh, there came recommendations by CDC and WHO saying that the only possible uh, PCR test is the call is the so-called Drosten test targeting three genes S and E. And uh, I studied this design, and because, as I said, I have been in the field, and I'm the designer of really hundreds of, of uh, design designs for molecular microbiology. So I studied Drosten's design, and and thought to me that it, it looked like illogical and even dangerous. So this design, I, I completely refused it and redesigned it in a new way. And I found a specific portion of the, of the SARS-CoV-2 genome at a very five prime end. So SARS-CoV-2 has a linear genome consisting of some uh, 30,000 letters bases. And the uh, left side is five prime end, and the, uh, it, it, the, the downstream uh, right side is, is the three prime end. So I found uh, in the five prime and the most left part of the, of the genome, the beginning of the genome, I found something really interesting because uh, I found a sequence which is so unique for this virus that no other species in the world harbors this sequence. And uh, uh, 
when I slept on that the next morning, I thought, oh, Jesus, it's so unusual. So how it's possible if you compare and, and, and align genomes of the individual bat coronaviruses, because at that time they said it, it came from, from the uh, bat, how it is possible if you uh, align the sequences uh, and you see the five prime UTR, which is the control center of the virus, because uh, there reside sequences for uh, both the replication and the transcription. So how it is possible that you could see some jump-like difference from the closest neighbor and the closest neighbor was SARS, the SARS from 2003. So at that point, it crossed my mind that it probably is not of natural origin and not from the bats because there is no logical and possible plausible explanation how this promotory region, this uh, control center could undergo such a huge, oh, those noses make my great day. I have a dog here with me, so sorry for the noises. <laughs> <laughs> He's on the sofa. So I found this really part, uh, a really interesting part of the genome. And uh, to me, it was it's impossible to evolve in nature because if it evolved in nature, you would see some predecessors of uh, the final sequence. And now we have a sequence which has 27 nucleotide uh, difference from the closest neighbor, which is SARS. And if the uh, virus changes even one nucleotide here, it, it just, it's, it's a very careful iteration, tries uh, what kind of activities it will give it because some changes might even kill it. So it's impossible to do it like jump-like from something to make some 27 nucleotide changes, totally, totally random, and it would be perfectly fit and uh, overflow the world. So it seems, it seemed to me at that point that SARS-CoV-2 most likely harbors a very strong promoter. And at that, at that time, back in March 2020, I tried to uh, write down and, and submit a short uh, letter, a brief report to a journal saying that the 5 prime UTR SARS-CoV-2 seems to be genetically unique and there are some implications for implications for improved uh, molecular diagnostics, meaning not the Drosten design, but go for 5 prime UTR because you will be specific. But it was rejected as too explosive. So at that time, I was just surprised because for me, it was, uh, I thought it was some inadvertent lab leak and it didn't cross my mind, it might, it might be something, something more behind it. And based on those predictions uh, by mine from March 2020, based on five prime, five prime UTR features, I said, look guys, so this virus very likely has a very strong promoter meaning it will uh, the mutation rate of the virus will be extreme we might encounter many strains and if you have such a heterogeneous target uh, development of an of a vaccine against such a variable target is impossible it's irrelevant and i thought if people will say oh that's interesting sonia so let's follow your idea and instead of uh, like uh, doing some precautionary measures and check laboratories if, and try to look for the source, they started coming after me, which was quite interesting. interesting. Uh, 
Another important point is that 5-prime UTR SARS-CoV-2 is absolutely stable, no change since March 22 till this time. And we have many different strains of alpha, beta, uh, delta, now we have Omicron. And uh, in red, I highlighted no Drusten triple target PCR assay. And uh, here is my idea. When I saw his uh, design in March 2020, and I just discarded it like useless because never you use three targets for one pathogen. All the time you find one specific region in the genome and target just target just one specific region of the genome, and still you have SOP for sensitivity, specificity, variability, blah blah blah. There is ISO for the whole procedure. So. I, I couldn't comprehend why he decided to go for three different targets for one species, for, for one uh, agent. And also when I looked at the design, it was it looked so dangerous because the, the fragments were very, very short. It, so it looked like mm, so, so it, it looked like no one would do it this way. But uh, at present, uh, and uh, knowing that right now we have Omicron and we had Alpha, Beta, blah, blah, blah. So it seems to me that Mr. Drosten might have known something more than the original, than uh, some uh, regular Joe the public. If he knew that uh, the virus might change his genome so much, as it really does, and it's true because we see so many genotypes. So this is this might be an explanation why he decided to go for three different uh, targets, because evidently the beginning was to produce numbers, to produce numbers, to produce positive cases, and to uh, using uh, fear mongering of the population, just try to introduce an idea of pandemics and some deadly deadly disease and so on. So using the Drosten design, you would produce numbers without any specific effort. And also whatever strain might appear, you might you, you might you should not miss it. You you should detect it. But we never used Durston design because uh, we started at the beginning, but it had such a huge background and produce a positive individual was easy just to add PCR cycles and you might have uh, any number of positive individuals uh, you, you, you wanted. So we decided to go for the five prime UTR. This essay doesn't have any background, it's specific, sensitive. And at the beginning, we distributed the essay to hundreds of laboratories because I offered it for free for anyone who was interested and uh, many laboratories ask for that. And this picture in the bottom, right bottom part shows the alignment of the original SARS virus from Wuhan and the uh, present Omicron. So you can perfectly see it's a perfect 100% alignment and the sequence, this control sequence did not change. Uh, to the left, there are two pictures, slightly hazy, but they show the differences between uh, the Wuhan 5-prime uh, UTR and bad coronavirus and Wuhan SARS-CoV-2 and bad SARS coronavirus. Mm -hmm. So what, next, hold on one second, Sonia. Uh -huh. What, um, who, when you, I think a couple of minutes ago, you explained that you had come up with your own PCR test, but they, who is they? did not want to accept that, but told you to accept the Corman-Drosten paper. Who was it? Uh, Who did that? 
it was uh, our government and it yeah. was uh, the Czech Institute uh, Czech Institute of Health. So the Czech Institute of Health is a, like a body uh, organizing this whole pandemics mm -hmm. and they simply insisted on the WHO uh, design. But then we went for uh, a quality control uh, validation and we went for international quality control validation. And once we had it for our five from UTR essay, they did not have any objections because they could not have. Once you have this quality control that everything works, it's specific, sensitive, you got blind samples and you needed to tell which sample contains SARS-CoV-2 and even at what quantity and we perfectly passed that test mm -hmm. so it means that your essay is also also um, suitable for routine diagnostics so we continued with this essay and so far we tested almost 30,000 samples so we have some idea about what's going on mm -hmm. right now so it was kind of battle at the beginning because really it, it, I, I was I was, it was just funny. It was so absurd at the beginning that it was it was funny. They tried to close my lab. They tried, I don't know, they negotiated everything. They uh, dishonested me. So it, it was it, it was funny. So it never happened in, in what, what I remember. So even at that point, I just started smelling fish that I don't know what's going on here. So if I offer it for free an essay, which is perfectly uh, perfectly useful without any background, specific, sensitive, easy. So let's go for that and use it. And it was totally like everything was just opposite. What was functional was rejected. What was, what was not functional was used. So uh, this, uh, this uh, Drossen essay, uh, as the way you, that you analyzed it, would that um, also have detected like other uh, coronavirus types? Uh, uh, it's a possibility. It's a possibility because the products which are pr produced using that assay are extremely short. And the shorter it is, the higher the chance that you might detect something which is uh, related and not exactly SARS-CoV-2. But I also suspect some inter, intra and intermolecular inferences uh, within the test because it was full of primers, full of probes, everything very close to each other. So simply the design, just by eye, uh, look dangerous. I would so it looked like when I saw it for the first time. I would say, "Oh, this must this must have high high background because it, it is this is this is not the way to design uh, uh, specific PCR test for 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 any pathogen." So it was quite surprising for me at that time. But right now, as I said, uh, I might have an explanation for why he decided to go for three individual targets because. They needed numbers. They needed numbers throughout the whole pandemics to keep the people alert that something is going on all the time. You know, so what? With, with a lot of primers, you mean these three primers or additional ones that you saw? For each for each individual fragment, you need two primers and one probe. And uh, so, as for S, you have two primers and a probe. For N, you have two primers and a probe. For E, you have two primers and a probe. And then also you have control gene, two primers and a probe. And it's such a goulash. It's a really dangerous goulash to, to be uh, specific. 
so this is also what you have seen. So for example, in our country, uh, during the summer 2020, uh, we used this five prime UTR assay and to see someone who was PCR positive was quite rare. It was, so it, it was basically, it was calm, silent, but from uh, the- That's because you used your own test, right? Because because we used our our test, which doesn't have any background, yeah. so we could distinguish between really specific and truly specific and falsely specific. So we didn't have any false specificities. And during the summer, they all the the faculty hospitals and so on uses uh, Drosten design, and all the time reported some positivities, but with really homeopathic quantity CT value values like 37, 40, and so on. And then they decided, oh, probably something is wrong with that, and decided that we'll stop PCR at, at the, uh, cycle 35, and which is later, like 36, 37, will be uh, like discarded like negative, because they understood probably there are, there are many falsely positive samples, falsely positive cases. But they duly reported it to the database, to the world database and national data database. So they, they all the time they had numbers. So this is so the Drosten design is simply something which which caused a pandemics of numbers and not pandemics of really uh, diseased infections. It just caused it just created cases, but those were only test positive. Uh, results. It didn't Absolutely. have anything to do with infections because infection means the virus enters the cells, starts to replicate, and then you have symptoms as well. That's why it never made any sense to uh, to do mass screening of perfectly healthy people who have no symptoms, right? Did you yeah, test absolutely. any? You didn't test any symptomless people, did you? Uh, so we are a private lab mm -hmm. and because of, of all the restrictions and traveling requirements and stuff so we tested also the, the standard population from the street so we have an idea mm -hmm. uh, what's going on in, not in the hospital not so much in the hospitals but in the normal population yeah. and in the yeah. normal population population using a specific test the virus was not present you know <laughs> so during the summer it was just it was holiday. It was virus holiday. So could we go to the next slide? Hang on one second. Yeah, go uh, ahead. But uh, one more question. Uh -huh. um, did I understand you correctly that you said that when the government or those people who are in line with the government, when they started testing, they used, they did it according to the Corman Drosden protocol. And when they couldn't find any cases, they ramped up the number of uh, of uh, 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 cycles of amplifications. Is that what they did in order to create cases? Uh, I think the situation for, for them was quite easy uh, in this respect, because the Jorsen design by its own produces many, many false positives. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, the Czech Institute of Health then said, or someone, some, some, somebody, uh, some author, authorized body said, so probably there is some problem with the specificity because we see so many, so many uh, positive uh, cases and it's, it's not pro uh, probable, probable. Uh, but uh, 
uh, when we started with testing in this country, so many, many different laboratories started, not only uh, uh, hospital laboratories and laboratories used to the work with molecular microbiology. It's a special type of work. You need to have uh, like physically separated laboratories, not to contaminate your premises with the PCR product and so on. And many laboratories were not used to this specific um, uh, type of work. And what we found out, uh, many laboratories just got contaminated and contaminated the pre-analytics so that it was even more easier to produce positive cases. And I remember one case. So it was a patient we uh, identified him like SARS-CoV positive and quantified also the quantity of the virus. You are the only lab in the Czech Republic able to quantify the load of the virus. And we nicely followed up. It was a Gaussian curve, started the positive, distorted, it was, went up and then went down, and then the guy was negative. Then it was transferred to another hospital, and the other, another hospital insisted on a PCR test because they said, we will not accept anyone who, who we do not know if, if it's positive or negative. So they carried out the test, and it, and it came out, the, the guy came up like, came, uh, up like positive. And then we just, I said, no, impossible. He was 14 days ago, but now he's perfectly, he's negative. So you can accept him normally. And they, no, 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 we can we can uh, find a uh, um, positivity. When we tried in the morning, it's CD32. When we tried in the evening, the same cycle, the CT value is 37. So <laughs> totally, uh, totally scrap of the results. So I asked for the product and the product, the PCR product they produced from that allegedly produced from that patient. And we sequenced the pro product blindly using next generation sequencing. And we, we found out that it was not a, a, a specific product of SARS-CoV-2 from that patient, but it was a standard, which is normally provided with the commercial kit for, for if you buy a commercial kit, you have primaries, probes, polymerase, all these constituents of the PCR. And then you also have a positive control because you need to run a positive control to, to, to see if everything is okay and the run was, was correct. And they contaminated their premises, the pre-analytics with, uh, uh, with uh, the control, with the standard. And the standard, this is really, it's, it's diabolical because the standard, it's great by diabolical. The standard contains all, it's like concatameric um, construct with head to tail sequencing containing recognition, recognition sites for all the primers and probes from the Drosten design. So even if it crossed your mind that you contaminated your uh, laboratory with uh, the standard, there is no way to switch to another producer, to another mm -hmm. commercial kit, because all the kits, irrespective of the producer, they're based on the same design. So if you contaminated your laboratory with a commercially available kit, with uh, the standard, which, is, which has to be in the kit because it's a normal constituent of the kit, you, are, you, you just end it and it's impossible to clean your lab. So it's so complicated to clean your lab because you do not know if it's in pipettes, in solutions or where it is. So this is a real trouble of all PCR laboratories. And many labs which started with the SARS-CoV-2 diagnostics didn't have any experience at all with the PCR diagnostics. Yeah, we so you're... 
more easy for them to contaminate than to produce falsely positive because they read it out CT values of uh, 42 and it was just falsely positive because of, of the unlucky uh, Drosten design. Yeah, that, this is precisely what happened everywhere, not just in the Czech Republic. Uh, Dr. Mike Yeadon told us about uh, how they did it in the UK. Uh, they set up test centers and uh, most of them were completely contaminated because the people who did the work had no prior experience. Many of them, for example, he was he was explaining about former disc jockeys who all of a sudden worked at a test test center. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, this is yeah. this this is a major problem that many people have overlooked. Your colleague, uh, Professor um, Ulrike Kemmerer, explained to us in great detail about this major problem of contamin contamination. In fact, we have connected you with her because I think it's important that you two talk to each other. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Can I ask you these? All these tests—they run on the 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 Roche light cycler. No, no, no. We use my preferred platform is Rotorigine by Quiagene. It's a German company. And I like Rotorigine because it is an open platform and you do not need to use, uh, you do not need to use a patented fluorophores. It's totally open platform. So you can, and I am the designer of the essays. So uh, all the time I design something for some agents, I need totally open plat open platform. So this, this is why uh, I have been working for years with uh, Gene, uh, but this is what you do. But the other ones who use the commercial kits, they would have likely used the the, the oh, washing machine. Ones. Different ones. So someone uses Roche light cycle, light cycler. Someone uses Rotorigine or by BioRat. So laboratories are equipped with the most various PCR okay. cyclers. So this was not like the uh, the thing of the cycler. This was the the whole trouble was not the thing of the cycler use the machinery, but the whole trouble was the use of the kit of, of the diagnostic kit. Right. So can we go to uh, the next slide? And can or no 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 maybe excuse me just one one back with the yes yeah yes. And could you wait for Doctor Fulmich because this is quite important I guess. He's going to be back in a second. Okay. And how was the how many um, cases did you have in the Czech Republic, at all? Like or. Uh, so I will comment on that on that in this using this uh, this slide. At the very beginning in March 2020, just few, and it was only it was only hype uh, by by the media and all the flashlights and journalists everywhere talking about the pandemics and so on. But we didn't see so many so many positive indi individuals. Plus, uh, we have I think two or three deaths, uh, and it was all uh, each time it was someone who, who was morbidly obese with diabetes very very ill and only three deaths and if it was not like this media homebook no one would know that there is some something like the, like the first like the first way so uh, uh, thank you for coming for coming because i we went we waited for you because i think this is this is quite interesting uh, this guy in this picture is a 
gray shadow puppeteer of all the pandemic situation in our country. Uh, his yeah, name is. He looks the part too. You can't trust him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, his name is Professor uh, Roman Primula, and this is an extract from a TV interview which was held on June twentieth, twenty twenty, and it says, "Let me read it." The second wave of COVID-19 infections is likely to come. The, cr the crucial thing is whether we will be then be able to maintain a daily increase in the number of infected in the hundreds or even worse. Roman Trimula, the government representative for health research, at some point he was also the minister of health, so he, he is really the puppeteer behind all the behind the scene. So Roman Trimula said. Uh, this in, a, in an interview with uh, Czech Television 24. The experience of Israel shows that the onset of the second wave can be very rapid within 10 days. It is therefore important that everything created in order to bind the original March wave remains on standby. And now look, to, look at the left part of the slide. So here, uh, from, it's from the Worldometers info. You can see the picture of the waves in the Czech Republic and below is in Israel. And I use the blue arrowhead and the blue arrowhead points at exactly or approximately the day when Roman Primula said, meaning June 20, 2020. And you see, so the, the blue arrowhead points to that point when he was, when he was saying this, uh, uh, on the main Czech uh, state media, Czech television, television. But on June twentieth, almost zero SARS could uh, occur. So we, we couldn't see almost anything. So it was really rare to see a positive case. And uh, uh, the the minuscule hillock at the beginning in March. So this was the first March wave in the Czech Republic. If you go down at the same scale, so you, you can see in Israel, there was almost nothing. And if Professor Primula says on June 20, 2020, that the second wave is expected and highly probably it will happen. And at that time, no laboratory data, no laboratory data implicated anything all that sort. It was really calm. The first wave of March was calm. It, calm. it was just a homebook by media. So I don't he know. He was following his script, basically. He was following. You, you should take a closer look into his biography. Who knows? Uh, Is he really uh, a professor? Is he really a person? Uh, he is a prof he is the professor is a real person, but he all the time when you when you have some I don't know some weird uh, things going on issues going on in government all the time he is a part of that. Mm -hmm. So he had so many conflicts of interest and many issues financial and blah blah blah. So, uh, but I'm not here to criticize his first person, but I'm here to tell you that Professor Primula was probably a fortune teller because he was able to tell uh, during a totally calm period of time that second wave will come and it will be sharp, rapid and immediate. And it really happened. So he's like, I, I have it for a fortune teller and for the best epidemiologist in the world because he could predict something which no one could. And when, it, when the second wave started, it was uh, September 2020, it was really abrupt. It started like from nothing, wow, it skyrocketed. And uh, 
using next generation sequencing, uh, the red way was genomically characterized, uh, and it was done at the Institute of Health, uh, Institute of Czech Health, or whatever it is the name, the uh, official name of the authority. They uh, sequenced the wave and found out that it's not the Wuhan virus. It, it is similar to the Wuhan virus, but it's genomically different. It carries, carries many different mutations. And then uh, 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 the wave, the red, the, in, the, in the red, um, uh, what it is, uh, rectangle, was dubbed the Czech or Prague or Czech strain. And it was totally different at the genomic level from the not totally but really conspicuously different from uh, from the wuhan original strain and uh, then uh, we took the markers of this red wave this check prox strain and did a follow-up uh, and i said we investigated almost thirty thousand samples so we we genotype all our positive cases really everything so here uh, in the right side of the picture the green uh, entries are the remnants from the from the wuhan uh, positivities then the red wave wave started you, you can see so it's from our excel excel table so from uh, at, at the top of of it uh, are the oldest all these samples and at the, at the bottom are the newest samples so as it uh, so it perfectly corresponds to the individual waves so uh, the green is the original Wuhan. Some rare, uh, rare instances we were able to identify during the summer. Then the red uh, wave came, and we genotyped, uh, genotyped, and tracked, tracked the virus, the virus spreading in our country using the specific genomic markers of the red wave. And suddenly we started seeing patients from intensive, and the red wave was rather benign, just running nose and some chills and nothing so special clinically. But then we started to see again patients from intensive care units from uh, faculty hospitals here in Prague. And we found out that the genotype was again different. And we markered uh, or, or we highlighted them by blue. And the blue wave here in, in the world of matter uh, um, uh, graph the, the blue the blue wave was again uh, genomically different and then so you you see the green the red and then starts with some blue still red and then our colleagues in london finally sequenced this strain dubbed it britain strain or british british strain british strain so please next I think, one i think we're finally looking at the right picture right because we were looking at the old one <laughs> Please, so in so in this picture you are just looking at, we see the red wave, then started different one, and we genotyped using uh, the markers from the red wave, and we lost those markers and found new ones, and it was we we highlighted that uh, uh, wave in blue, and it, this blue wave had completely different genotype. Uh, next slide, please. And then our colleagues in London finally sequenced what started in London in, in the UK and dubbed it the Britain strain. Uh, now it's called Alpha, and it started rolling up, rolling out through our country. And we stopped seeing the red wave, stopped seeing the blue wave, and saw only the yellow wave. And we uh, sequenced and genotyped 
uh, all our positive cases and then we selected from each individual group from the red one blue one and the yellow wave uh, one representative and next slide please and this looks like busy but it's not uh, and this uh, uh, so the uh, uh, the table the the, the the color color table shows uh, so uh, it's like the genome of the SARS-CoV-2 uh, sequenced by next generation sequencing meaning that you read the whole genome from the five prime end to the three prime end from the beginning to the end and you can see all the amino acid substitution found and if it was found there is a x like cross i marked it by marked it by cross and uh, in the second line, you can see three crosses, three consecutive crosses. Can you see it in the red line? Uh, yeah. Second row. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the red, uh, red uh, is one representative of the red wave. The blue is one representative of the blue wave. And the yellow is one representative of the uh, yellow, the British, the alpha strain. And you, you can perfectly see that there are three red uh, crosses uh, in the second row disappeared in the blue strain and disappeared also in the yellow strain, which is impossible. Because if you have a confined population, uh, which definitely was uh, our country at that time, because the country was under lockdown, uh, mandatory facial masks, social distancing, almost no traveling. So this was like an island. So this was a really confined population. And if you have a confined population, then there you have in genetics something which is caused, which is called genetic law of confined populations. And the situation here totally violated the genetic law because it showed the genetic data of the individual, individual waves clearly show that this uh, subsequent wave was not the offspring of the previous one, which is not possible. So if you have confined population like a island or Czech, closed Czech Republic, then if it starts with one strain, the next wave must carry all the mutation of the original strain and might only add some more mutations. So this is like you inherited all your mutations from your parents and you might only add more. You are not able to erase your mutations because you do not have what the blueprint was. Yeah. And also yeah, this Czech strain or the blue strain or the yellow strain did not know what the original Wuhan sequence, sequence was. So it's not possible that a wave which comes after another, like erases the mutations of the previous one. This is not possible. This totally violates the genetics of like evolution, uh, violates the law of evolution of mutations in, in, in a place. So this means, in other words, that all the individual waves, meaning the red one, the blue one, and the yellow one, were totally different from each other genomically, and we are not directly interrelated. We are not, the second was not offspring of the first, and the third was not, was not the offspring of the second. So there is not direct interrelation between the individual strains. So the question which comes is what is or was the actual source of the individual SARS-CoV-2 strains? 
And back to uh, the announcement of Professor Primula, the, the Czech television, when he uh, announced like many, many weeks ahead that something like this happens. And now you see that each individual uh, wave is a diff different strain. And now no one is, uh, everyone speaks uh, freely about it because they say we have Delta, we have Omicron, they give the names. So when I announced uh, in autumn 2020 that each individual wave is something different, I got scientific enterprise in our country. And they just went after me, chased me like a witch. So this was this was really uh, interesting. And now the narrative changed because probably the creators of the whole COVID-19 pandemics didn't count on the fact that the laboratories will have next generation sequencing technology at routine, routine disposal at the time when they launch the pandemics. So without NGS, you would not be able to discern if it's British wave or Omicron or Delta. It was all the, it would it would be all the time just SARS-CoV-2 positivity. But because we have sequenced the whole genomes, we are able to tell that the individual waves are different. So they're of course related to the original uh, uh, SARS-CoV-2 from Wuhan, but they are not directly interrelated to each other because as i said the subsequent wave all the time should carry all the mutations from the parent virus and this was not the case so my question still is what is or what the actual source of the ideal SARS-CoV-2 strains and the Omicron is so mutated that direct predecessor of Omicron was not found found yet they tried to uh, pinpoint uh, some golden hamster or whatever but it's it's not so all the individual strains are totally inter are totally are totally uninterdependent they are genomically distinctive and unique okay and, and could, it, gonna... could it be that uh, they are uh, related i mean the omicron spike protein could that be related to some do you know the self-produced uh spikes after vaccination uh, I don't know. They say that, that uh, probably some uh, highly immunodeficient patients might be the source of of these strains. Uh, I I'm not uh, refuting this idea, but definitely it was not in the autumn 2020 because at that time yeah. the vaccination the vaccinations just started mm -hmm. and uh, basically so vaccination is uh, on the way right now. Or, maybe it will stop because it's uh, pointless and people uh, people see that it was a, just a bag of lies and nothing more but in autumn 2020 uh, the vaccination just started and definitely yeah. uh, this fact uh, could not interfere with uh, the emergence of new unusual and not interrelated strains so did so, you so you think that the other side those who are responsible for all this did not expect you and anyone else to do this next generation sequencing exactly uh -huh. exactly because if the pandemics i ca i'll call it pandemics so if it started like five or six years earlier we would not have this technology at this total mm -hmm. so if they designed it i don't know how many years before as johnny said many many decades before so it never crossed their minds it's such 
technological improvement would be available uh, as we have right now, NGS. And without NGS, you would not be able to tell that individual waves are different strengths. So my uh, suspicion is that it started in a lab in one petri dish, so to speak. And uh, then they just aliquoted different strains and put it in the freezer for further usage. And the further usage came three times during the autumn 2020 in our country. And then uh, Omicron appeared just like bold from the blue. No one knows from what place because it doesn't have any predecessor. It's so totally different uh, that no one knows where the source was. So I so think- do you think it has nothing to do with the original uh, SARS-CoV-2 virus? Uh, yes, yes, it's a uh, derivative of the original SARS-CoV-2 from Wuhan, but it's so highly mutated yeah. that uh, it's basically, so in, in terms of virology, it's not like variant or mutant, it's totally different strain because not only it carries so many mutations, but also it behaves clinically different differently. So once it behaves clinically differently, you can call it different strain. So and each of the waves behaved clinically differently, more or less. Mm -hmm. And Omicron, for example, right now I'm three days after huge Omicron positivity. <laughs> and I'm here breathing normally. I just had runny nose and it was also nothing, nothing really to speak about. So Omicron is benign. I'm not telling, and but I'm not vaccinated. So I have an, I have a normal immune system. Mm -hmm. But what we see that people who are who underwent vaccination, even the booster shot, like second or third uh, jab, they are they might really suffer from Omicron badly, and they might end up in the hospital because their immune system is damaged by the vaccination. But that's, that's what we hear. Um, yeah. Have you what? With respect to new generation sequencing, NGS, what is Sanger sequencing? Uh, uh, Sanger sequencing is used for, uh, for example, we use, we use it in genetics when we need to sequence only specific parts of a gene because mm -hmm. it's labor consuming and it has low throughput. And you can sequence only a few fragments because otherwise you would pipe it yourself to death. So if you w uh, really want to know what's going on, you have to use new generation sequencing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Because I'm going to have to put you in touch with Dr. Sin Hang Lee from the United States, because he also, right from the start, he kept saying you have to sequence the uh, positive tests in order to find out what's really going on. Of course, in order to understand why someone has symptoms, you also have to do differential diagnostics. But he kept talking about Sanger sequencing. Maybe we should tell him there's something better than that, new generation sequencing. Yeah, absolutely. So Sanger, we have Sanger sequencing in our lab too, but it's too labor consuming and not mm -hmm. useful for, for this. But it has uh, another another angle. To, there, there's another angle to this story. So once you know that each individual wave is an individual is different virus, then you can't, you, you must not, you can't use uh, uh, vaccine which has been designed against the original Wuhan virus. Obviously, yes. Yeah, yeah, because otherwise you just risk, you highly, hugely risk uh, the antibody dependent enhancement in the po vaccinated population. And this is perfectly new, it's a textbook knowledge. And when I started talking about that, about this, that all, each individual wave is different. And I spoke 
about it publicly in our country. I showed the data. So all these experts, call so-called experts, each pretend uh, they, they have whatever knowledge in immunology, vaccinology, and so on, should have this textbook knowledge that if you that you are not allowed to vaccinate individuals with heterological vaccine because otherwise you might really damage your immune system which is what's what's going on right now so i blame them i really i blame them for for one thousand things but i also blame them that they did it on purpose they knew that if you have different strain you you are not allowed to use heterological vaccine and still then they mandated and they push the vaccine and they still do the so-called experts in this country terrible really terrible and so this is what we like we as a parallel med medical chamber try to explain to doctors people what the, all the risk and so all, all the traps are here and uh, many many people just have, have their eyes opened and uh, they understand what's going on but still there is the official narrative from the government telling this bullshit excuse me for the word but it's really bullshit and bullshitting people with this and mandating vaccines and telling go for the booster third shot and this will be the full stop and you 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 might travel freely and you might go to the restaurant and whatever and people are really gullible and, and stupid enough to to buy these stories so uh, but back to this so this is about medicine so once you know that you have heterological 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 uh, anti uh, vaccine you can't use it you can't so it was found in 1964 for the first time for dengue fever that they produced uh, antibody against so dengue fever virus has four strains and they produced a uh, uh, vaccine against strain number one and they vaccinated people with this vaccine and once they got ill with strain number two three or four they died from the adverse effects from the antibody dependent enhancement so this is precisely, what, experts, this is precisely uh, what all the experts told us would happen and that's what's happening now yeah yeah and you you have the laboratory correlate you perfectly you, you have the data and i don't know not in our country but in some american country so if you have a suspect and on the underpants you find a uh, blood stain or sperm stain and you isolate dna from that and sequence the dna and then you can say it's john smith and john smith will be executed for that because uh, it's mm -hmm. it's clearly connected with the so once you have the genome one once you have the sequence this is the ultimate proof of genetic identity there is no you we can't go lower so this is the absolute proof so once you have genetic data so this is the most bulletproof data you might even have and uh, all the data we produced i made public i i offered to the government to our official institutions they said thank you and that was all I really blame them for all the damage uh, which will which was done on our people and will be done because of the of the uh, later effects of the vaccines. So Sonia, go to the, Sonia yeah. you have so much more to tell, uh, but we don't have that much time. Um, oh, okay. so, allow me a couple of questions, and I, I'm pretty sure Viviana has a couple of questions as well. How many members do you have in this new parallel medical uh, chamber? Mm maybe i i know so people are continually people are continually continually uh, uh, 
like we are adding adding new new people, but maybe like hundred something like that. Because still, many doctors are indoctrinated. I can't call it different. Yeah. Indoctrinated totally, and they and they need to see and they need to see the patients after vaccination, after the jab, returning to them to their department and showing with, with weird, unusual clinical signs which are not present before. So they need to see it with their own eyes because people, doctors, so there was a, there is an established structure in each, in, each, in each country and people have the tendency to, to trust the government and trust the legal representatives. Mm-hmm. And now you get some information or, or some orders which are totally weird, illogical, and even damaging people. And in, for some individuals, it takes time just for the no, penny no. to drop. This is this is the same thing. If you're stuck in a certain structure, and you have been stuck in this structure, governmental structure, societal structure, for decades, like our friend Michael Swinwood, he's an attorney from Canada, he's 73 or 74 years old. He says, it is only now that I'm beginning to see that I've been lied to for 74 years. So if you're stuck, and but this, what you're doing, the kind of work that you're doing will give you all the authority that you need because it already now, it shows, I mean, if even I can understand this, already now it shows that you are right and they're wrong. Already now, and now it is quite obvious that they're killing people by using the wrong treatment, by using vaccinations that you cannot and must not use against these heterological strains, as you um, uh, explained to us. Absolutely, and even if you even if you try to suppress the overwhelming knowledge, uh, which ca- which came originally from the in silico predictions, what the S protein might do, what the vaccines might do, if you even try to like hide yourself uh, in front of all this information, here you have the genetic data which show uh, which shows that each wave is a different virus, meaning you are not allowed to use the same vaccine for each individual wave. It's just as simple as it is. Mm-hmm. It's an old textbook knowledge mm-hmm. they completely ignore. This is extremely important. That's why I connected you, or Corvin did this on my behalf with Ulrike, Professor Kamara. Um, we will des- we will definitely need you um, in the trials, in the ongoing trials, the, the ones that are in, uh, that, that have been filed in the existing system um, because that's what I think this whole thing boils down to. This is a staged pandemic and their major tool was the PCR test. So we're going to need you for that. We're going to need you for many of these cases, I'm afraid. Um, yeah, I'll, be, I'll be happy to because really it's such an eyesore. All, what, and, and I don't know. I don't know why they feel that people are so stupid so maybe many many of them are but not so, not not not, not everyone is yeah they treat us like, treat us like a cattle or i don't know yeah it wasn't it abraham lincoln who said you can fool uh, all the people for a while and you can fo- fool some people forever but you can't fool everyone forever <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's true that's true okay well sonia I know we're going to be in touch because I think we're really going to need you and your expertise. Uh, that's why I connected you with Ulrika, but also with uh, Dr. Sin Hang Lee from the United States. 
um, because this it's only a small group of biologists who really understand about the PCR test and even fewer who can explain about the PCR test in such a way that even a judge will understand it. So yes. I, I, at this point, unless there's something that is definitely, that definitely needs to be mentioned, um, I would like to switch over to our next guest, but I don't want to cut you off. So if there's anything that we should still talk about, let's do it. No, that's fine. I just wanted to show you uh, what's behind the horizon possibly, but maybe your spare time if you if you have any you can just skip along the slides and see it so uh no, I mean, that's fine. The, so, what's behind the horizon is important for us to know i mean if you could maybe just like say it briefly or just the result okay. and then we can maybe talk about this in detail detail in a different uh i just wanted so there are some papers showing that for example there is one in from nature showing uh that you 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 might construct uh, viable SARS-CoV-2 or Zika virus or whatever uh, flavivirus virus particles just within one week and it, it came, came out in nature. Uh, the paper is called Wrapping the Reconstruction of SARS-CoV-2 Using a Synthetic Genomic Platform. And synth synthetic genomics is something we, for example, routinely use also in our lab. Uh, when I am designing new assay for a new agent, for a new pathogen, I'm not uh, just digging in the ground looking for the pathogen. I'm so insolent that I just ask a oligo house to synthesize the genome for me and they synthesize whatever you want to. So uh, and in this article, uh, they say that they were, they were able to produce uh, SARS-CoV-2 uh, vital particle just within a week after uh, uh, receiving uh, the nucleotides uh, they, from, from the oligo house. So this is so in in molecular biology, you have so many opportunities to misuse the science and misuse the field. And uh, basically, the law at least uh, the law is lagging behind so so much, uh, and the field is just running running ahead. And uh, as, as I as I thought uh, in March 2020, it's just an inadvertent leak from the lab. But now definitely, it's not inadvertent. It's just on purpose, it looks like on purpose, but you can't exclude any other possibility that someone will produce some something in the lab because I'm so uh, skilled in laboratory uh, in the in the lab because I have been in the lab for my last 20 years. But I would not be able to tell if I came into someone lab and look into the incubator what is growing in what cultivation flask, and it's only on the consciousness of the scientist if he or she produces something which is dangerous or overwhelming the world like SARS-CoV-2. So the legislation, the law behind, the law which covers this is like from, from the Bronze Age, really. And this should be definitely improved because it might happen at any time. And you have also um, societies like do it, it's called do it yourself. It started in 2008 and it was a scientist from NASA who started a do it yourself company. And you can buy via internet the simple chemicals and simple machines for your kitchen-like molecular biology lab, and you can produce genetically modified organisms just using that pre-made, user-friendly, stupidity-friendly kit. And you can do it at your home easily. And then you have like CRISPR, 
and uh, the ladies who got a Nobel Prize for CRISPR, uh, they said, please do not use it just freely because the tool is so powerful. And what happened in 2019, there was a CRISPR baby scandal from China because they produced uh, two embryos CRISPR modified. And they reported it somewhere probably because they had to, because normally the scientists would not tell it openly because this particular scientist was fined and ended up in a jail for it. But he did it and the tools are available. Everything is perfectly available in, on internet. Now, and then, then you have something like artificial intelligence and artificial intelligence is something which helps enormously in molecular molecular biology because it helps us to predict the best sequences for the best recognition of something so for example if i tried to design a really powerful five prime utr with a really powerful promoter i would use artificial intelligence for many many different designs and then i would use i would just test it in the lab because we have high throughput uh, testing technologies but the artificial intelligence would help me enormously to find the best best design and not uh, during during 30 years of experimenting but within 10 minutes so i think that not we can, only we can we can see a lot of bad things uh on the horizon if we don't get things under control and this is yeah. what we're going to do this is what we're yeah. working on right now i hate to cut you off but we we uh, can't keep anna yeah, garner absolutely. waiting for much longer uh, yes. So I thank you very much, and please uh, get in touch with Ulrika. Uh, we sent you her email address, also uh, Dr. Sinhang Lee's email address. I think it's going to be it's going to be worth your while because it's important for all the really smart people who have this uh, expertise in this particular field to connect. That is powerful knowledge combined. Yeah, I'll be absolutely happy to help you out with everything. We'll come into contact. We'll reach out to uh, those uh, colleagues. And uh, thank you very much for having me. And I could explain to you what, what we found here. And it was so censored that it was not was possible. It was not possible to tell people about that. Things are changing, so Sonia. Much. Things very are changing. You, and thanks to your help as well. Thank you very much. We'll be in touch because we yeah. have to be in touch because we have to attack these people. Thank yeah, you. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Take bye care. Yeah, bye bye. You, um Anna, Anna Garner. Um Anna, are you with us already or have you lost faith in our ability to uh coordinate things? Uh, you know what that that was just that was so fascinating i am so glad that i got to listen to her she's brilliant and she was amazing she's a very hard act for me to follow though <laughs> oh yeah well most people don't know that you're not just a lawyer but you're also a biologist right right i majored in biology pre-med and then i went a year towards my genetics so this it it can't have been boring then oh it was fascinating <laughs> i'm glad i could listen to it great, fascinating great so, yeah. And now, now for something completely different, as they used to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, but not not really different, because you can tell us about um, uh, a parallel, uh, not bar association, because you don't want to call it that. What is it? We're not sure what the name is yet. I'm thinking about citizens' courts, citizens' council, uh, spiritual, ecclesiastical 
council we're not quite sure but i'll tell you the premise and maybe uh you know with our with our putting our heads together we can come up with a good name uh but i have the concept down and how it will be formed it will be formed alongside the existing judicial systems. Um, as we know, a lot of our systems are breaking down, uh, whether there are political systems, medical systems, uh, religious systems, as well as financial and judicial. So I've always had this, this sense that I came in to create a new system, a higher system, something based on higher uh, principles. And when I went into law, I, at a very early age, I thought, I'm here to help change it from within. But now we know our systems are broken and, and, or, or breaking down. And as Buckminster Fuller said, uh, we can't build on broken systems. We have to create new systems that make the old systems obsolete. And I think that's what, how this whole idea came to me. Um, and it's not original. There are a lot of other people I'm building on uh, you know, I didn't come up with this originally. I took a lot of other ideas and synthesized them into something that I think is potentially workable. So it's basically a new judicial system that we create based on uh, a parallel system that will be in existence, but offers people an alternative for resolving civil disputes that is outside of the courts of the government. As we know, our constitutions of the of the countries, constitutions of various states, allow uh, each state and country to set up its own court system. Typically, this is done through um, the uh, legislature. Uh, it's done through the Senate in New Mexico. It's done through the Congress in the United States. So, what we're doing is we're combining a couple of concepts. One of those is freedom of the expression of religion. Uh, and, and when I say religion, it is not dogmatic, it's not ideological, it is about spirituality of a belief of something higher than yourself, natural law, for example. And we uh, combine that with the right, our inalienable right to contract with one another. Uh, there is biblical authority for it. Um, I'm, I'm in touch with a woman in Arizona who's setting up a similar using a similar platform and setting up health clinics uh, and it's based on uh it's i'd like to read it to you if it's okay it's the, the biblical authority is great because this really does help describe what we're doing um so paul who used to be called saul when he was in ephesus wrote a letter to uh, the church of corinth and corinth just as a background corinth was a, a very wealthy a seaboard town that had a lot of trade and had a lot of immigrants. And it had a lot of also uh, perversion and evil. It's, it was pretty interesting. So the church of Corinth was also experiencing its own internal problems. And this one had to do with lawsuits, interestingly. Did you know the Bible talked about lawsuits? Right. <laughs> so <laughs> this, is, this is a great passage because it really describes a little bit of what we're doing. And I can go into more detail, but let me just read you these few short verses. This is in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 4. And uh, the letter says, does any of you dare when he has a matter of complaint against another brother to go to law before unrighteous men, men neither upright nor right with God, laying it before them instead of before the saints, the people of God. That's who he referred to as the saints. 
Do you not know that the saints will one day judge and govern the world? And if the world by itself is to be judged and ruled by you, are you unworthy and incompetent to try such petty matters of the smallest courts of justice? Do you not know that we are to judge the very angels and pronounce opinion between right and wrong for them? How much more then as to matters pertaining to this world and of life only? So if you have, if then you do have such cases of everyday life to decide, why do you appoint as judges to lay before those who from the standpoint of the church count for least and are without standing? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So what they're saying, and this is the, um, this is my favorite Bible. I don't know if we can see it with the background there, the Amplified Bible. It's uh, a lot easier to read and understand, I feel, than the archaic ones. Um, so this is one of my favorite ones to read from. But what we're doing is we're setting up private membership associations. The bar is a private membership association. You have to have certain qualifications to get into the bar. We all know that. So this has to have certain qualifications for people to get into any private membership association. The primary one is that you follow natural law or God's law. That's it. That's, that's one of the main ones for at least being a member of a private membership association. It's an unincorporated club, if you will. Um, and it's, it's a private club. And private clubs are typically uh, pretty exempt from governmental, a lot of governmental regulations, because a private club is treated as if it were something in your own home, right? Like a family gathering. Uh, as long as you're not doing anything uh, evil or harmful, they pretty much can do whatever they want. So in setting these up, we have provisions in them that members will not sue one another in our political courts. So if they have a civil dispute, they have agreed to, by contract, agree to turn that civil dispute over to a tribunal that will be selected by, uh, let's say, an advisory board of that particular uh, private membership. And what we're also doing, and, and this wouldn't work if it, we just had one or two private memberships, but we are setting up one for the judiciary, one for medical, Another person is setting one up for banking, financial. It won't be called a bank because that's subject to all kinds of regulations. It'll be called something else. But these will be like cooperatives, basically. So I have been very excited to find out that there are many attorneys and uh, entrepreneurs, business people who are very interested in this kind of platform and we also have someone who's quite active in organizing a national network of these private associations of the various types. What that allows us to do, I think that, that you guys can see where this is going, but what that allows us to do is step out of some of these systems. We want to step out of the healthcare, for example. We're viewing hospitals in America as being uh, dangerous places to go now because they're using remdesivir and they're using ventilators when those are known to kill people, right? So we can't depend on some of these older systems that have been in existence. The hospital used to be the first place I would have taken somebody seriously ill. 
years ago, but these days we're terrified of going in, you know? So alternatives are being set up. They're going to, for a while, I, I believe, and I predict, will coexist with the crumbling systems. And it'll make, it'll be a very organic transition. As we develop more of these private clubs and memberships, and we all have this same language, we will not sue another brother. A brother will be someone who is like-minded as we are, freedom, liberty lovers, people who are sensible about taking responsibility for their own lives and care and that sort of thing. And that doesn't mean that disputes won't arise. We're human. Disputes will arise. This system is ideal for civil, for resolving civil disputes in a higher manner as we see it. Now, people have asked, well, what about criminals? Well, right now, criminals are still pretty much uh, addressed by the legal system that is in existence. We don't have prisons, and maybe that's not the way to go anyway. I didn't study criminology, so I'm not the best person to try to set up an alternative criminal system. But I have read about some very interesting things that happen in some uh, indigenous tribes, for example. If someone in the tribe, this, and I forgot where this was, if this was in uh, an Australia Aboriginal type of um, setting or an African tribe, but some indigenous tribe. And when someone committed a crime in the indigenous tribe, there were various ways they could address it. One of the ways that I thought was the most humane and compassionate is everybody surrounds the person with incredible love and you know, just loving them in a way that was of forgiveness, but in a way that brought them to their hearts so that they did not repeat those acts, whatever act that was. Now, this might not work if you have a psychopath in your midst, like we absolutely do running our countries. But typically, if someone commits a crime where they, they hurt someone or they steal something, there, there can be remedies outside of complete uh, incarceration, you know. So that's that I will leave to other experts in the criminal type of thing who have a higher mind on how to deal with criminals, because I think that certainly our system of criminal justice doesn't work either, you know. But I'm really excited about being part of this because that it feels like it, it definitely feels like a calling to me. And it feels like something that is doable as we continue to enroll more people in America and eventually the world to do this. Because right now, my the people who are wanting to get these private membership agreements created are doing so because they are mostly business people. And if there's another lockdown, they want to be able to give their goods and services, be able to trade and, and be paid for goods and services to their private members. They are not subject to lockdowns if it's a private club. So that's one of the things we're doing in our local community is trying to reach people um, who are entrepreneurs, store owners, restaurant owners, that sort of thing, and put a shield between them and an overreaching government. I, I welcome any questions. I know you guys probably have a million of them, but so. Well, I think the most the most important conclusion to draw from all of what's been happening is that the system is completely broken. Every single facet of it, 
I think, is completely broken. There's too many of their uh, puppets who have uh, who've been installed in all all the positions that they consider strategic of strategic importance. So I think there's no other way but to start a parallel system, a better one. And if I look at, I don't know enough about um, uh, education and medicine, uh, but I do know enough about uh, the judicial system to to know that in particular here in Germany, it is completely broken. And I also know that um, as far as the criminal um, legal system is concerned, it is even more broken in the United States uh, because of the introduction of private jails, etc. All of a sudden it becomes a business and all of a sudden it makes more sense to incarcerate people than to keep them out of jail. So the system is definitely completely broken. I think this is a great idea. Uh, private clubs with private uh, or private membership associations, um, which can actually, if it works, and I think it will, it can actually show the rest of the world, those who are still stuck in the old system, that there's something, that there is a better alternative. And I think that's the only way to go. Be, make yourself as attractive as possible so that people don't have to be persuaded, but they'll simply see that the new system works and the old one doesn't. I think this is perfect, Absolutely. Anna. Yeah. And I did mention educational. We have private educational associations. Yeah. I'm working right now with what we're calling New Mexico Freedom Schools. And we're trying to establish um, an alternative to public schools, which are very toxic for children, not only because of the mask wearing, but because of the uh, ideas and philosophies that are being put into their young, very vulnerable, you know, uh, susceptible brains. Yeah. And uh, we've, we have a lot of people who are very concerned about the where the educational system is going, where it is right now, not where it's going, it's where it is. And so that's also another venue for these private associations. Yeah. So yeah. I know, you know, for example, my neighbors, I'm not going to say who it is, but um, I know a lot of people in the U.S., including in California, who have not believed in the uh, public education system for decades and who homeschooled their children. And it turns out that these children are doing far better than those who went through the public uh, school system at universities, at college, etc. Absolutely. Like for the health system, I think it's also great like about, you know, taking taking on responsibility, basically, because I think, you know, if you have doctors and and patients maybe together in an association or like working together in a different way, um, you know, it's like right now you have a maybe a legal dispute because of some malpractice or something. And then you have the doctor, you know, who doesn't really give a damn because he's protected by its insurance company. So he doesn't need to care really about what he's done. And it's really, you know, about like some uh, using the, the wrong medication or something. So I think it's really if you're much closer connected in the one who sells the product or helps or does this kind of service and the one taking on the service and they're basically in this together, I think it's it's great to, to learn responsibility. Yeah. Absolutely. And I've discussed this with my friend in Arizona who's setting up a health clinic with physicians who are looking at buying a defunct hospital and they're looking at putting physicians in and they do not need 
malpractice insurance. That allows us to have more affordable care with, you know, as members, we have more affordable care, but we agree not to sue the doctor in a court. If we have a dispute, we take it to a tribunal of our choosing. And our choosing will be from other members that we respect and who are good advisors. Uh, they might be comprised of, let's say, attorneys and doctors. And how, what's the best way to compensate someone if there is a mistake made? Um, but it doesn't have to be uh, adversarial. It can be um, as a, a higher way of saying, look, and I used to, I did many, many decades of medical malpractice litigation. And I used to tell people, I think that I could cut down the malpractice cases by one simple recommendation. And that is for the doctor to go to the patient's family and say, I am so sorry, I made a mistake. Very few people would then sue the doctor in an adversarial proceeding if a doctor actually said, you know, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Um, and they instead, the insurance companies tell the doctors, never, ever admit you made a mistake, blame it on the patient, which is the thing that will get the family riled up quicker and get lawyered up quicker than anything, right? Because you're blaming the patient. It was the patient's fault. The patient did something wrong. The patient had a different anatomy and I didn't know that was in that place, you know, or whatever. Mm. So there are ways to handle this compassionately and humanly. We are all humans. We all make mistakes. You know, lawyers make mistake, we, mistakes. We just don't bury our mistakes, right? But when we make a mistake, we apologize. I apologize to my client. I say, I will do everything in my power to rectify this. I made a mistake. I missed this deadline or I did something, whatever I did. And, and very few people will fire me for that sort of thing because I come clean with it. And if the doctor does the same thing, very few people will hold it against them. They realize that this is a human being. People make mistakes. So, you know, we just have to have a system of, of compassionate compensation that will come through the membership dues and that sort of thing that will there where there will be a fund that can help uh you know anybody and and you obviously don't have anybody who's got evil intent that that would not be compatible with being a member you can't you can't have evil intent if you have evil intent you can't be part of this group mm -hmm. so we come together as spiritual humans who are desiring to live a higher, uh, by a higher law, shall we say. And, uh, and I think a lot of disputes can be resolved that way. Actually, I think it's the only way to do it because unless you realize that it's not just the system, the structures of the system that stand in our way, but it's the idea of, um, well, it's, it's the, I guess it, what it boils down to is this new system or the new um, private membership associations are all about cooperation as opposed to competition or even confrontation because that's the old system. We don't, we want, as you said, this is more about um, being humans. It's uh, about taking responsibility and not running away from pro uh, responsibility and blaming others. That's uh, what I think is, is probably the worst feature of, of this old system.
I mean, I've been a part of it for uh, longer than I desire, <laughs> and I've been I've been uh, making a living off this. But I have, uh, in most of my cases, actually, in those cases that did not have to do with global corporations, I met humans, and it was possible to talk to them outside the courtroom. It was possible to talk to them. It was possible to get into negotiate settlements, usually outside the courtroom, because that is not a good setting for settlements. It's it's a good setting for forced settlements. But who believes in forced settlements? But whenever it comes to these uh, global corporations, there's no way of addressing them. So in my view, they're probably never, ever going to be members of these uh, private membership associations. But we don't need them as members. We're going to get rid of them anyhow. We're not going to deal with the large corporations. We're going to deal with the businesses that are run by yeah. other members of these memberships. Yeah. That's who we're going to deal with. We're going to get our medical care from doctors who are in it. We're going to get our food from people who have set up a farm and, and a grocery store. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to we're, we're going to not deal with the big corporations to the extent we can possibly do that. Yeah. Then we will not have disputes with the big corporations. We're going to deal with our brothers of like mind. And that's all it means. You know, brothers and sisters of like mind. And uh, we it, it, it allows us this isn't about anarchy at all. This is about setting up systems that are workable. Mm -hmm. Our systems are not workable anymore. And you know what, like, I mean, if you also go away from this, like, half God in a white coat, you know, as which a lot of doctors see themselves, you know, like, I mean, I think there's also so much a possibility to actually avoid malpractice. Because, like, when you look here, uh, we have, I think, 40,000 people dying each year because of, like, uh, you know, germs or something they get in the hospital, which are not, which are anti antibiotics resistant or, you know, things like this. And also, like, uh, uh, surgery problems for instance I, I don't know how many these are I think with the germs that's 40,000 alone and in 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 Holland they have a much better protection system so it I think they have only a few cases so I mean all this could be like introduced and um, also like maybe if you think like some sort of ombudsman uh, you know like overseeing like during surgery maybe you have like a retired surgeon like if it's like a complicated surgery could also be on stage and like watching and maybe giving helping with tips or like talking to the family beforehand and like you know going through these these processes i think there's so much that you could do better instead of like just uh, being you know stuck in a hospital where it's like profit driven and like you know everything has to be speedy so the the you know the the case pays for itself and all these things so i think it's there's so much room for optimization and that's at the moment not not at all um you know uh, used to to the full extent that's exactly right, Vivian. And you know, we've seen hospitals driven uh, by government handouts, basically the COVID money handouts that have come come down. Uh, if they diagnosed people with COVID or they put them on a ventilator or they treated them with remdesivir, they got financial incentives. We can't have a, a healthcare system that operates under financial systems like that. We just can't. That is not appropriate. Now, that doesn't mean that the professionals, the doctors who have learned their, their uh, you know, profession, their career, should not be compensated. This is a way we all participate and compensate those people who are helping us do that. 
as lawyers, we're problem solvers. We, we help people solve problems. We have the skills and the analytical skills, the intelligence, we hope, to be able to help people solve problems. And we can do that, continue to do that. And I don't have to do that in the court of the government. I can do that in any sort of setting, any sort of tribunal. I can help people uh, come to some, as you say, Reiner settlement or resolution. So, you know, it's not going to make all of us obsolete. I think what, what it will do is make the old system obsolete because we're, we're carrying it into a, the new world. That's why we're here. Yeah. We're here to help establish the new world. You know, the new earth, not not new world sounds too much like new world order. Uh, I'll call it the new earth. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Eckhart Tolle. He, he's a, a wonderful spiritual philosopher and he calls it the new earth. And I think that's the appropriate term. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Super, yeah. Sounds okay. like a good plan. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a really good plan. And uh, we, um, it's, I, I, to me, the most the most intriguing part is that we're going to get rid of this um, competition, confrontational um, education. That is that is what we're suffering from because we were educated to work that way. I was. And when I go into a courtroom, um, well, actually, no, I have whenever I, I used to do some family law, I used to do some uh, landlord tenant disputes. And it turns out that it was always fairly easy to resolve these disputes, usually outside of the courtroom, because in those cases, the lawyers on the other side were real lawyers, people who you could talk to. In these uh, global corporation cases, you're not talking to lawyers, you're, you're talking to crooks. This is my experience. So uh, if we can get rid of this by looking for a cooperative um, proceeding which this will be then i think it's all it's all for the better this is what we're all waiting for this is what we've been waiting for for a long time some of us with not without knowing this because i didn't know this it was only through a COVID that i realized oops something is terribly wrong here right right COVID. you know i i actually uh thank all of these wonderful people who stepped up to play the role of tyrants because you know we were depending on our judicial system to rein in governmental tyrants and it didn't happen yeah. and so we have to find a way to exit as much as we can exit these broken and abusive systems and it, it includes the look look around i mean we are talking about educational financial political medical judicial uh did i miss a system <laughs> you know <laughs> it's it's it's, it's what's and even religious systems, for example, the Catholic Church, and I'm not going to blast other people's religion, but we see it starting to crumble as well because of the corruption within yeah. it. And you know so, what? At the beginning of today's session, we played a short video clip. I'm going to forward it to you, which shows uh, Klaus Schwab explaining, allegedly, this is this is. Uh, this was filmed with a hidden camera. I don't think so. But it shows him explaining how he and the World Economic Forum, through its Young Global Leaders program, has infiltrated every niche of society, including not just uh, global corporations or NGOs, also unions, uh, but including religion. That's what he says in this clip. Wow. 
Yeah. Wow. You know, I'm also I'm, I'm getting quite excited about this idea that maybe if you want to enter into like a contract, you know, you'd be negotiating that like with like what we have here, like a notary public kind of, you know, that he would explain to both sides what what is your what can be your benefits and what can be the disadvantages and maybe have you thought about this and that, you know, so so more like trouble avoiding instead of you know having this sort of like one-sided or, or lopsided rip-off contract like that you have to 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 uh, enter into with uh, say like a, a telecommun telecommunications company and then or, you don't or a vaccine maker or a vaccine maker and then you don't don't read the small print and then they say oh see here we we screwed you because look at the small print you know yeah. it's it's so mean and yeah. all this has to go it has to go. I agree. I agree. I, I had the pleasure a few years ago of negotiating a contract between uh, a manufacturer of a certain product that uh, was desired in India to help with farming and uh, water production. And uh, the, the Indians are, are very highly spiritual. I absolutely love their culture and, and love them so much. And we negotiated a God-based contract, unlike any that anyone's ever seen. And that's when I started realizing that we can do something very different from how we've been doing it. And they loved the contract, both sides. I actually was representing both sides. They allowed me to do that. They signed a waiver of conflict of interest and they allowed me to do it because they felt I was of, the, of a compatible spiritual level with them to be able to incorporate uh, uh, higher values. And um, it was it was really, you know, a, a, it's a it's a moment in my career that makes me very proud that I was doing something like that. And that's what it'll take. We have to be of a higher spiritual um, understanding. And then this that's that's how this cooperative idea will work. Uh, it cannot work with those psychopaths and or global, probably the same, global corporate leaders. I don't think it will, but amongst ourselves with the small and medium-sized enterprises, with people like us, it's gonna work. And we're gonna show the others that it's working. I think, right. I feel like, uh, you know, just a, a warm and welcoming glow has just been added to the light at the other side of the tunnel. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Vivian. Thank you. It's, it's you know, it's a, it's a topic that's very near and dear to my heart. You know, I came in here to be an agent of change. I just wasn't sure where that would happen, but COVID has pointed me in a different direction. And uh, so, you know, I'm thankful for it. It's, a, it's part of our grand plan of awakening. This planet has to awaken, or it could be a human extinction event. I yeah. truly believe that. I do too. Well, we've come to the right place for this. We're changing things. Mm -hmm. okay. And I'm so honored to be working with both of you. You're such incredible people. It's uh, it's really a joy to work with you. We have a perfect team, Anna. We are a great team, all of us, including Deepali, Dexter, and everyone else. It's it just, it's fun. The, apart from the fact that this is difficult and it's arduous and it uh, consumes so much energy and we sleep too little, but it's still fun because of the right people working together. Absolutely. Yes, thank you. What an honor to be on your show again. <laughs> Anna, thank you. It's an honor to have you on your, on our show. We'll see you tomorrow, in fact. See you tomorrow. All okay. right. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Yep, bye-bye. Das okay. war ja wirklich überraschend, ne? Einige Überraschungen heute. Ja, einige Überraschungen. Es, äh, es geht also was. Ähm, so things can move. Well, I'm very pleased that possibly now we have found that uh, point out.
that was yeah, interesting really to see who was behind this. If that were the case, it would be very interesting. And uh, the information from uh, Czech Republic, that many of the details I hadn't expected for today. No, I never would have expected it. Now, I'm curious to see how Ulrike responds to this. Yes. Well, I think that takes us to the end of the session for, for today. today. For today. For today, yes. Thank you very much for watching. And uh, again, the information that we depend on donations for our work. We are happy to receive help uh, to do this work. Uh, we have an account to receive donations. Also, Oval Media, who do the technical production, depend on donations if you can help. Thank you very much. And apart from that, I wish you all a good Friday afternoon and a good weekend. But during the weekend, starting from tomorrow, 6 o'clock uh, European time, we will continue with the grand jury proceedings. We will listen to some experts and witnesses. It's going to be... It'll be interesting because the first thing we'll do is to look at the geopolitical and historic background of all this of what's going down right now. Uh, this is important for overall understanding um, of everything. It will be a, a uh, time frame starting in 1870, where we'll uh, linger only briefly, then going on to 1946, after the Second World War, war uh, establishing establishment of UNESCO, um, then eugenics ideas come up, and then different exercises of how can we uh, scare people into um, doing what um, you want them to do, Operation Dark Winter, Lockstep, etc., um, until we get to uh, what happened uh, in this concrete case, i.e. the PCR test, which will be the core aspect of the um, session on Sunday. So whatever you say, it'll be interesting. I've got one point that we have to look up. Edelman, whether they are connected with Scholz and Friends, because Scholz and Friends in April 2020 got 3 million euros to do the PR work for the government and got more money, and then they implemented it. But uh, they haven't been bored. They are were in Berlin. That's uh, interesting. Yeah. they are controlled by Edelman. Okay, that's a side uh, remark. Um, we'll follow up on that. Have a nice weekend and see you soon. Okay, see you.